Hey, this is Ken Art of Wake Up Carolina. Because we're in such demand, we decided to do a podcast. Well, actually, it's like an archive of a previously broadcast show on the radio. So it's not a podcast. Well, it is presented as a podcast. So invite people to join us for whatever it is you just said they can join us for. That's right. Enjoy, and it starts now. Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Friday morning, March the 18th, 843-661-0937 is our number. Good morning, Rev of Radio. Good morning. The Royal, I'm sorry, I don't want to slash you this morning. The Royal Rev of Radio. (laughs) If you're going to say it, I guess say it right. There's a biblical account of a, a giant and David, David and Goliath. The biblical account, it doesn't conclude exactly this way. I don't want to quote scripture here because I'm not a Sunday school teacher, nor am I theologically sound enough. But the, 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 the tenor of the scripture says, I guess the, um, the punchline, that's not blasphemy, is it? The punchline of the scripture says, and the Philistine fell. That is the beauty of March Madness. There, there is no other sport greater than college football. That's not up for debate. I mean, it's not. Um, what was the uh, the game with the with the dinosaur egg that you slide across the ice? Uh, that, uh, what curling? Yeah, curling. Uh, <laughs> I mean, as exciting as curling is, <laughs> with with a dinosaur egg trying to knock another dinosaur egg out of the um out of the circle. And it is exciting. And someone yelling from the back. Oh, oh, oh! Some of these uh, European teams, in particular, um, that is not as um intriguing nor exciting as college football i mean cur- curling has its moments mm-hmm. but college football <laughs> is indeed um proof that there is a god in heaven uh a creator of the universe from alpha to omega from beginning to end um because man just simply cannot create nor invent something as perfect and um spectacular as college football but the two best periods of time the sports year are other than the race in Darlington, are um, the NFL wild card weekend and the opening weekend of March Madness. I mean, that that is, as much as I love college football, the supreme um, entertaining event in all of athletics and all of sports and entertainment is wild card weekend and the NFL and the first round, that's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of March Madness. Now, technically, Saturday and Sunday are the second round because the teams play Thursday. The winner moves on, plays Saturday. Friday plays on on Sunday. Um, but the Philistine fell last night. One of the Blue Bloods. Why do you want to play St. Mary's or St. Peter's on uh, St. Patrick's Day? I mean, you're asking for trouble. I mean, you got to be smarter than that. As Blue Bloodish as Kentucky is, surely they could pay somebody within the ranks of the NCAA and then not be forced to pay or, or play uh, St. Peter's on St. Patrick's Day. But um, that was exciting last night. You and I were talking on the phone for a second uh, about something else. And uh, I said, I'm going to watch Kentucky about to get beat here. Mm-hmm. And um, indeed they did. And when I think of a 15 seed and a two seed, Kentucky the two seed, St. Peter's the um, the 15 seed, I think of Coppin State and South Carolina. Eddie Fogler. And a coach named Fane. If you don't believe me, look it up. <laughs> Coppin State was coached by a guy named Fane. When B.J. Mackey and Larry Davis and Melvin Watson, uh, probably the um, other than the Frank McGuire era, 
the best run in Gamecock, best run in college basketball the Gamecocks have ever had. I know the Final Four was the anomaly. I mean, that was when Sendari Stonewell got hot and anything, you know, one thing led to another. But but that, that team was not as good as the team that South Carolina had when they were, I think they were a three seed one year to two seed the next year. So um, I kind of laugh under my breath when I watch a 15 beat a two because it hardly ever happens. And the only time I can remember it happening was my beloved Gamecocks uh, being the two seed. So the Philistine fell last night. Now you want to spread some rumors? You want to get into the rumor mill business? I, I've not even said anything to you about okay. this. I have it on solid sources that Sean Miller may be the next coach, basketball coach, at the University of South Carolina. I saw some activity on Twitter yesterday that said he was spotted around Columbia. Former head coach at Xavier, left to go to Arizona. Um, Xavier or uh, Xavier? Xavier. I, I mean, that's the way I say it. I don't about be Xavier. I don't know. Is it Xavier I think, or is I think it Xavier? I think, I've always heard Xavier. That's me. Uh, yeah, it's, it's an X sounds like a Z. Right. Um, <laughs> kind of like phone. PH sounds like an F. Right. Uh, so Xavier, um, not Xavier, Xavier. I think his um I think his name was Xavier McDaniel because they knew him as the X Man. Um, but yeah, Xavier is in um hot pursuit of the services of Sean Miller. South Carolina is in hot pursuit of the services of Sean Miller. Uh, really former coach at Xavier went on to Arizona. Had a little trouble. Had some issues. Um, I've gathered from sources that the University of South Carolina has had it explained to him that this was more that he's less culpable in some of these shenanigans um, that originally thought um, they've done some vetting of his role and responsibilities in the I'll say this on the um, on the record you ready mm-hmm. if you ain't cheating in college basketball you ain't gonna win I mean it's AAU driven it's sneaker driven it's Nike and Adidas and Under Armour and AAU camp saying who can get this guy a job and who can get that kid on this other team? Um, Coach K has been celebrated as a dignified example of coaching excellence for 42 years. Do we really believe that? You know what I think? I think Coach K was a godfather. I don't think he had to get his hands dirty. I think he got so established in the world of college basketball that he had underlings get their hands dirty for him. But if you're going to win in college basketball, you're going to get your hands dirty. I'm sorry. I mean, Clemson, South Carolina, Frank Martin, and Brad Brownell are revered people. I mean, they, they really are. They're, they're highly regarded, highly respected as men of integrity, men of virtue, men doing things the right way. They hardly ever win. <laughs> they hardly <laughs> ever make it to the uh, run of the NCAA tournament. Martin had Thornwell, and that really um, kind of the stars aligned. But I just believe this, um, even more so in college football, the, the, the game of college basketball has been tainted by things that force you to get your hands dirty. And if you're not willing to do that, you'll be an also-ran. Um, Bruce Pearl is at Auburn. Bruce Pearl has several examples of getting his hands dirty. You know what Bruce Pearl's doing? He's still playing basketball. <laughs> He's a two-seed in the NCAA tournament. And if Sean Miller comes to South Carolina, um, he'll probably work the system in some way, shape, or form. But he'll win. I mean, he's just he's – it could be the biggest hire since Steve Spurrier. I mean, I really believe that. Really? Oh, there, there's no doubt. I mean, Sean Miller's legit. I mean, he is a bona fide big name in the world of college um, basketball coaching. And um, you got to think this, and, and I don't I don't know this for, to be true, but Xavier is not a Power 5 school. South Carolina is a Power 5 school. If Xavier's able to outbid South Carolina for the services of Sean Miller, then 
we've got to make a change at AD. If Ray Tanner is able to land Sean Miller in the next five to seven to ten days, that's a big feather in his cap. I mean, that, that's a rally for an AD who many in the fan base kind of question whether or not the, the move from one of the best baseball coaches they've ever had to the role and responsibility of AD was a good move or not. Has he diminished his legacy? Well, I mean, he won two national championships, played for a third. It's hard to go anywhere but down at least a notch or two. But if Ray can land Miller in the next five, seven, ten days, that's a notch in his belt. I mean, that's a big deal. That's a guy who knew he was going to get rid of one coach and had already had a short list of other coaches who may or may not be available. That's what an AD supposed to do. I mean, you always keep a name full of coaches in your pocket in case you have to make a, a decision or a move, and some ADs get caught flat-footed. And, and I would argue Ray has a couple of times. But if he's, Ray, if he's able to swing this and pull this off and Miller inks, and he's the basketball coach at South Carolina, that, that's a big feather in Ray Tanner's, in Ray Tanner's cap. Mm. Um, for you Clemson fans, you could care less. <laughs> and I understand that, but, um, <laughs> but, but we don't have much to be excited about as, um, as Gamecock. That's true. Um, I, I want to go back to something we touched on yesterday. And I had a couple of people, that's messed up. I mean, that, that's kind of the comments to me. That's messed up. Hey, those things you were talking about, in South Carolina and Senate representation, that's messed up. Help me understand it a little more clearly. I went back last night uh, and yesterday afternoon and, and addressed some of the numbers. I wanted to make sure I had this this right. Jim was talking about the lawsuit in Alabama, uh, the SIM suit in Alabama that, um, that led to um, the bicameral form of government in the federal level is one way. At the state level, it was ruled via a lawsuit that basically redefined the Alabama Constitution that um, you can't create political representation based on acreage or trees or land mass or economic activity. It's got to be the 14th Amendment, the Equal Protection Clause, uh, one man, one vote. And I mean man figuratively, certainly not literally for you females. You outvote us um, in this newfound uh, America, but or newfangled America. But, but I went back and looked last night and kind of went through some of the data, some of the numbers that we talked about yesterday. Um, I actually used some of the projections. I mean, th- there's projected growth for South Carolina. Will it be exactly right? Probably not. But they're, they're, they're basing some of the projections off um, new construction permits, um, new v- driver's license registrations. What are their trends and trajectories when it comes to that? Uh, to that? And, and I'm telling you, Rev, it's alarming. I don't want to say it's troubling. Because you live in one of these places, it's it's encouraging. But it's alarming what is happening in South Carolina and how that will eventually affect um, the way we govern ourselves as a result of the Warren Court's decision of the Alabama Constitution. And for those that didn't listen yesterday, shame on you. Um, let, let me express this real quick. The the, the court decision that, that basically usurped the authority of the Alabama Constitution said, now, now in, in the federal government... How many senators does Wyoming have? Two. How many senators does California have? Two. How many senators does Connecticut have? Two. How many senators does New York have? Two. If we have weighted representation, I mean, the House has weighted representation based on what? The, the number of people who live in that area. No question about it. The Senate is different, um, and there's a reason they did that, to not monopolize um or basically um, hijack political power and political representation. Let me tell you this. 
if you apply some of the projection uh, that, that I read last night, and, and yeah, th- these will be within 10%, uh, probably within 5%. Well, let's say a margin of error, 5%. Um, by the next census, the projected population of Greenville County is 693,000. The projected population of Charleston County is 519,000. The projected population of Horry County is 546,000. So Horry County will pl- pass Green, uh, excuse me, Charleston County as the second most populated county in South Carolina, and it'll be it'll be Greenville, it'll be Horry, and it'll be Charleston. By 2040, Horry will probably pass Greenville. What does that mean, Rev? Well, I'll, I'll give you some numbers. In those three counties, there is one point. Um, the projections have South Carolina going from 5.1 million to about five and a half million, 5.488. So let's round off and say five and a half million. That means that the the Senate districts will go from about 111,000 to 120,000 people per Senate district in South Carolina. When you take Greenville, Charleston, and Horry, take the combined population of those three counties in the next census, not this one, but the next one, that means that those three counties will have better than one and three-quarter million people, 1.758 million people. When you look at the projections of the bottom 34 counties, Florence is the 13th most populated county in South Carolina. When you begin at Florence and go all the way to the least, when you take the 13th most populated county and go all the way to the bottom, the least populated county in South Carolina is and will be um, Allendale County. So Florence number 13, Allendale number 46. You know what the combined population of those counties are? 1,610,000. That's alarming to me. So if you break that down, and let's use the Senate as an example, that means that um, with the projections, each Senate district, 120,000 people, 1.758, 15 senators will be from Greenville, Charleston, or Horry. There are 46. That means 31 senators that don't represent three counties. So they'll have an average of five senators per county of the 46 that represent the state of South Carolina, that's alarming to me. I understand how the Senate works. I'm one of the few people who's presided over the South Carolina State Senate. First session I ever witnessed, I presided over. I mean, just just think about, I mean, that's where our political horsepower is. We are a legislative state. The House matters, and the Speaker arguably, arguably is the most powerful politician in South Carolina. But the power and the political juice and yank, as we like to say, resides in our Senate. And if one-third of the South Carolina State Senate come from three counties and they're doing their job, those areas get all of the goodies. We've got to figure out a way to address this. And the only way to address this, and I don't know how you undo a decision to the Supreme Court, but I guess you'll be in the Constitution or take the 14th Amendment out of the Constitution, um, de-amend the 14th Amendment, but um, once again, genuine intent, but but a terrible, terrible outcome, 
And the political representation of South Carolina is going to be so centralized to the point that we can almost call it monopolized. Let's go to the phone. Here's Breeze. Morning, you're on. Hey, you know, um, Kenny, it's not like these uh, state senators or our, our House of Representatives guys represent the people's wishes anyway. But here's going to be your problem. How, even if you could have a vote, do the rest of the counties have more people than those? You, you, know, you know where I'm going? Yeah. Do they have enough people to vote to vote against it? Because, I mean, the people from Greenville and all of these uh, communists that I got living amongst me, oh, hell, they uncle vote to have less power. You dig where I'm going? Breeze, let me ask you a question. I want you to be serious with me for a second. You live in Mount Pleasant now. You grew up in Lake City. You've beat around the PD all your life like I have. Is it yeah. obvious the difference in Mount Pleasant? In other words, is the, oh, I mean, yeah. I, I yeah. know they, yeah. I mean, I go yeah. to Pauly's Island a lot, and it's different. I mean, but I don't live there, so I'm not there day after day after day. Yeah. Explain yeah. the difference. Yeah. It's, not South Car- it's not South Carolina. It is not South Carolina. Well, you know, I used to wrestle, you know, and I traveled up north, and it's like living in a northern city. There's Charleston is not South Carolina. It may be in South Carolina, but I'm telling you about this. Sometimes it sounds like I'm joking. Hell, I ain't joking. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's sort of like lawyer jokes. Lawyers don't think they're funny, and we don't think they're a joke. Hell, I ain't joking. This Mount Pleasant, Charleston, Dagold is not a South. It's not South Carolina. It's not South Carolina. If my if my daggone business out here, like you like to say, speak it out of both sides of my mouth, because I make money off these guys. And the vast majority of them are, are actually Republicans, and I do like them. You know, I do like them. I, I, find, I try not, you know, I want to hate them, but a few of them I do actually tolerate and like and everything. But they are different, different people. They are not, they are not us. They are not. And these, but the vast majority of these people are snowflakes. They're very liberal, but they're liberal sissies. And, and that, you know, they they want to, they want the posture for to, to look good, but they aren't. You know what I mean? Sure. They want to pretend they're good people, but I mean, you can see us as all fake. Oh, let's try to do something good for the for the poor minority or whatever. But they don't. But they don't have any. They don't. I mean, they don't have any black folks on their cell phone. Let's put it that way. Let me call up and see how my, my, my buddy is. That I work out with. You know, uh, I got. You know, they they don't have any what you call really true black friends. That they just say, "Hey, Joe, what's going on, man? After we don't work out today, let's go. Uh, let's go grab something to eat. That kind of thing." But but they, this this is this is really South Jersey. That's, that's a joke I make, but it's not a joke. That's what it really is. You know, and, and so it's, it's, these people don't think anything, anything like we do. Nothing. Even the conservatives don't really get what, what it is to be Southern. So, no, what, this is not this is not South Carolina. You know, it's not anywhere close to it. And, you know, and I, I walk I'll come through here and I, and I see the people wearing their masks still. And I just feel like telling them, I said, you're the son of a bitch that calls this. You're the one that called. You voted for this. You voted for this gas stuff. You wanted 81 million yeah, jokes that daggone voted for this stuff. Yeah, I, I see anybody right now wearing a mask, and I say, you are 
you are the cause of this. And, I, and, there, and there's, there's still a good bit of people here. I see it every day. They'll get out of their car wearing their mask to walk into some place, and then, of course, they'll you know, take it off or whatever. I see it every day. I go to the grocery store. There's still people wearing the mask. And the Harris Teeter here, I asked one of the guys, there's a black guy there that I've got to be friends with, I said, hey, brother, he's an older guy. I said, uh, why are you still wearing your mask? They making y'all wear it? He goes, well, no. Hey, y'all making us wear it. I'm just kind of used to it now. I said, you know, I'm going to tell you something. I said, yeah, my mom was had a lot of Comanche Indian in her and, and of course, Spanish. And uh, she used to always tell me not to trust the government. I can't imagine being a, a black a black man in America to, to trust anything the government says, you know? Yep. And, uh and he goes, you know, I, I never, you know, I never thought of it that way. I said, why in the world would you believe anything the government has told you after your life experience here in America? You know, and, and he kind of thought about it, slipped his mask off for a second there to talk with me. You know, but the point is, is uh, this is uh, that, that was what I was going to say. I said these these people just amaze me, and while we're sitting there being um. You know, they, they hit you with these things to get you thinking off the subject of what's going on. Politicians are great for that. You know, they, they want you to forget what they've done to you. But then, you know, and, um, nobody's thinking about the southern border. Well, let me, Breeze, we got we got to take a break. Thank you, my man. Hey, I want to say this. Um, well, I'll say it on the other side. We're already behind. And only one break or one segment into the show. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937 takes Mondays to make Fridays. We're very uh, good at identifying issues and topics to discuss. Nah, and things we're that, okay at it. Well, I don't know if we're very good. I, I would say sometimes you, you you do hit one out of the park. You know, you bring something to uh, you know to the forefront that many people haven't thought about before, and I think this uh, this Senate and representation issue is one of them. And so you've you've kind of identified and laid out an issue that may be a factor. And with undesirable results. Is that fair to that's say? That's fair. Yeah, that's uh, fair. Okay. So let's talk about solutions. Is there a way to fix that? I mean, I think the way the Alabama Constitution had it determined to begin with, you know, um, they basically copied the federal constitution. You got a federal republic and a unitary republic. And the courts argue that they can, uh, basically, they, they can monkey around with the constitution of a state because it's a unitary uh, republic they can't do it with the u.s constitution because it's a federal i mean if we trust the constitution if we believe in the constitution if we abide by the constitution then why not the several said in several states govern as the constitution suggests that we govern with um with wyoming having two senators california having two senators new york having two senators this really goes back to my second year in, in columbia one late one afternoon i remember somebody brought in some census numbers and this is during, this would have been my first year, the 2010 census, the redistricting. For those that don't know, I'm not blowing my own horn here, but I voted to break the tie to create the 7th Congressional District. I think I voted six times while I was in Columbia. I mean, the lieutenant governor, only the presiding officer, the president of the Senate, only votes in case of a tie. There were a couple of times I voted, eh, but they, you know, it's just the policy didn't matter to me as much. Um, I walk into the chamber one morning, and Jeff Gossett, the clerk of the Senate, said to me, "You ready to vote today?" I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "This Senate, I mean, this um, new congressional district is going to be real close." And I remember what I said. I said, "Is it going to be tied?" And he said, "I think it is." 
And I said, Jeff, that will be the easiest vote I ever have to cast. I'm from the PD, and if I've got to choose a new congressional district in the PD or a new con- congressional district in Buford, both driven by what? Population growth along the coast. Then I'm going to vote for the, the Myrtle Beach Florence District is what we called it in Columbia. But it really goes back to one night, one evening in the, in the state house. Somebody said, and I'll never get it when all this 2010 census numbers started coming in. Somebody said... Is every senator going to be from Ori by the end of the day? You know, I mean, it was just like we react, we began to really recognize um, the, the the just just the crazy growth along the coast of South Carolina. So for ten years, I pondered this, I've considered this, I thought a little bit about this, but I think we've got a problem, and I think we're beginning to really centralize so much of our political horsepower in, in places that you know that they're already being well taken care of now. And what happens to these thirty-four rev? 34 counties in South Carolina don't equal the population of three counties in South Carolina. I don't know if that's unique. I don't live in Wyoming. I don't live in Connecticut. I don't live in, I mean, I know New York City would be an anomaly. I mean, the state of New York, a big metropolitan area like New York City. I mean, I got to believe that would be statistically um, different than the average. But we've had all this enormous growth along the coast of South Carolina, and we've not had it anywhere else. In fact, I said yesterday, 26 of the 46 counties in South Carolina had a decline in population. So when you look at the sheer numbers, projected growth, but by the year 2030, South Carolina's projected to have 5.5 million people. 1.758 of the 5.5 are going to live in three counties. If you if you take that and, and extrapolate, you know, further out and say the Senate district goes from 111,000 to about 120,000 and you just apply that same number, that means 15 senators of the 46 senators in the South Carolina State House will come from three counties. I, that's going to be problematic. Not if you live in Charleston, not if you live in Greenville, not if you live in Ore, but if you live in places other than that, you're going to have tremendously watered down political representation. I think the, the other way works better. Let's use the House as an example of how to govern based on population. Let, let's let's do in South Carolina what the federal government still does in our nation's capital. Let's go to the phone. Here's Carl. Good morning, Carl. Hey, what's going on, guys? Hey, Carl. Hey, um, I got a couple of preliminaries before I actually get to my um, uh, comment that Bree said. Um, now, now, can you just talk, talk about New York? They got about 60 counties, and um, I think five of them control the entire like state and national representation for the state of of New York. And it's on the, on the Democrat side. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I mean, I can understand what you're saying, but that is to the detriment of the majority of the, um, true New York, New Yorkers. I don't think that if all of our senators came from a handful of places in South Carolina that the the majority of the land space, you know, of, of, um, well, the majority of the, um, counties, so to speak of South Carolina would not be represented. I think that if they are, you know, they, if it's low, if it's coastal, they will be mostly Republican set maybe in Charleston, but that's, that's still a, that's still a big fight because most of the, you know, most of the land that people are occupying and the people who 
are owning that land and living in the Charleston area are Republican leaning and do not want um, taxes to be sky high. And but you you still have a you know you go back goes back to what we said said about about Florence. The more you try to rent seek literally and have people renting their property, the more Democrats you're going to have in power. That's what that's what you guys are suffering with in Florence. Just knock it off. Make those make those condominiums and make them for sale and get out of this whole um, you know rental thing. Anyway, um, first thing I will first thing for that is it just me or is everybody getting locked out of their Facebook account? I don't know. I yeah. hadn't been on Facebook I lately. I haven't seen that. What you see? Well, maybe somebody will bring it up. I mean, they they put a lockout and then um, can't get in, or uh, might, might just be me. I don't know. Hmm. But um, I just want to bring it up. All right. So with Bree, what Breeze was saying. Now, I I have two minds about the mask thing. Now, of course, I agree with him that the government should not be bullying people and forcing people to do anything. But I always wanted to wear a mask because airborne pets, see, despite what anybody wants to believe, this air that we're breathing is the same air that Julius Caesar breathed in and out, Alexander the Great. I mean, Jesus breathed in the same air. So don't think that this air is, is sanitary. Right. This air is as old as Earth itself, and it's just it's going from one place to another, going from sea to shining sea and across oceans and getting into your lungs. This air is filthy, and there is all kinds of airborne pathogens in this air other than COVID, and people have to understand that. So you would do well just for your longevity to wear a mask especially when you are around people. Now, I've had people come up to me, and, and when when, um, when Breeze came up to me in Harris Teeter the other day, I was kind of scared because I didn't want to get drop kicked. So I just kind of agreed with him, you know, to, to get out of trouble when he said that, you know, what he said about you know, me not wearing that mask. But when I'm at the gym or something, and those people, I mean, I'm, you know, those people are hard breathing. That's the last place you're going to see me not masked up. I mean, I'm masked up from the time I go into the gym until the time that I leave the gym. And I always wanted to be. And I'm, I'm probably always going to be. Because here you have people who are, you know, ventilating their entire um, respiratory system. God knows what they have, because I tell people all the time, look, every person on the planet is fighting off some kind of infection. I mean, that's why we have immune systems. Nobody is, nobody is 100% well, and people have all kinds of stuff. The only reason they're not dead is because they have an immune system that's to one, one extent or another intact. And so I'm, it's not a freedom issue with me. I agree with him that the government should not be able to tell me to wear a mask. But if it, with that same logic, the government should also not be able to tell me not to wear a mask. And I don't have to be sick. I just don't want to get sick. And so that's uh, that's what I you know, had, had to say about that. But I'm not going to let uh, Breeze pile drive me in 
the meat department at Harris Teeter <laughs> because I'm disagreeing with him about wearing a mask. Sure, and I certainly understand her. So thank you, Carl. Appreciate it. Have a good weekend. Um, let's not get too far behind. Can we take another break now? Yep. We got a call eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. We got a caller. We'll get to you as soon as we pay some bills. Back in a minute. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven takes Mondays to make Fridays. This is the Friday part of that equation. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Rick in Sumter listening to WDXY. Good morning, Rick. You're on the air. Hey, good morning to y'all. Hey, Rick. Um, listen, I'm on my way to work, and your last caller, I'm sorry, you know, they need to maybe take a botany class. We are not breathing the same air that Julius Caesar and Jesus exhaled. There's a few things that happened to it in the meantime. You know, it's that's maybe a little botany might a wheelhouse when you're talking about the founding fathers you know the new jersey plan was a small state plan right after we finished up with the articles of confederation how do we do a representation of the states new jersey wanted to make it totally by population um then virginia was a big state no virginia wanted to make it by population excuse me jersey mm-hmm. wanted to make it every state is equal mm-hmm. and that's why they came up with a compromise you know with the house and the senate now, I admit your population centers probably should have more representation than a lot of your more rural areas, but there's got to be a balance achieved somewhere. Um, and I'm agreeing with you. We don't need to let Ori, Greenville, and Charleston totally run the whole state. Um, being from Sumter, I'm right there with the PD, man. So, Rick, but what do we do? You're, that- you're a smart guy. I mean, I, I, I think I've identified, I don't want to say it's a problem, it's an issue. That, that I think we need to think about and think through and address in some way, shape, or form. But but you're a bright man. I mean, you keep up with history. You're you're informed about uh, the historical nature of what. I, so so what do we do? I mean, you know, that's what I'd love to have input from our from our listeners about. You know, what what are some ideas? What are some some concepts that we can come up with to address this? Um, I hate to say this word, this inequity in representation. Well, I liked your idea that I heard you say the other day a single senator from each county Mm -hmm. and then your house districts based on population i think that the compromise that the founding fathers came up with would probably work here too and we need to have some kind of a blended system based on that because it also wouldn't be fair to have allendale you know driving the agenda for the whole state they have very different interests than, than greenville very well explained. Thank you, Rick. Appreciate that. Good caller, all as always. Um, and, and look, I, you know, Rev said it better than I. I mean, I think I've identified. I don't want to say it's a problem. It's an issue. Um, some. I mean, if I lived in Ori, Greenville, or Charleston, I'd probably be a big fan of this system because, you know, my political representation is going to be very weighted in my favor. But, but what about the rest of the state? And Carl made mention earlier that, you know, there's still going to be Republicans but it doesn't matter to me if you're Republican or not. Your your loyalties are not to the party. How do you get elected? The people in your district. Who do you have to keep happy? I mean, if you're a senator from Horry County, sure you want to do right by the state of South Carolina, but the people in Greenville don't vote for you. The people in Barnwell don't vote for you. The people in Orangeburg don't vote for you. So you're always sensitive to the needs of your district. And I think the better way to do it is to revert back. I think to implement uh, the the... The system of which we govern the country on is a much better way to govern South Carolina. Now, now once again, I can't speak 
with knowledge about states all over the country. I don't, you know, Carl mentioned some numbers out of New York. Um, I'm not a New Yorker. I'm not from Wyoming. I'm not from Montana. I'm not from California. Um, I'm a federalist. I'm kind of a, you know, even a little more states rights guys than maybe federalism. I'm more of a kind of a Jeffersonian. I, I believe that states and their ability to govern themselves should be um, superior to that of the federal government. I think the Constitution uh, speaks to that. Very limited federal government. But but the federal court, the U.S. Supreme Court, decided that the Alabama Constitution was basically unconstitutional. And it voided the, the, the concept within the Alabama Constitution that allowed for one senator per county. And it referred to the 14th Amendment, the Equal Protection Clause. I understand the language there. And I guess legal interpretation would probably suggest they made the right decision. But did they make a good decision? Is the right decision always a good decision? And is a good decision always the right decision? And when you look at the, 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 the population growth in South Carolina, if it continues as projected, we're going to be a state with a lot of haves and have-nots. Now, I'm not offended by haves and have-nots. They didn't nail a Roman to the cross. So it's been around a long, long, long time, the haves and have-nots. But can we address this? Can, can we create a more equitable way to govern the state we love? That's the point I'm trying to make. Not, not that, you know, I understand the constitutionality or not. I understand the court has a right to make a decision. But we've got a right to opine on some of the, um, some of the decisions they made. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937 is our number. It's Friday morning. I want to share some information in just a bit. I've got a text out to another person who should know more about this than I. And I don't want to just run wild with rumors. I, I don't want to do that. I'm going to do, uh, we'll run kind of wild, not just <laughs> full-fledged craziness right. over the airways. A but if we get, um, Yeah, I'm waiting for semi-confirmation. How about that? Semi-confirmation that what I heard yesterday is accurate, then we'll share with our listeners. Um. Should we be creative and innovative in the way we govern ourselves? Conservatism is based on what? If it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know what I mean? If it's worked this long, it's probably the way to do things. But should we be more interested in trying to improve and innovate the way we govern ourselves? Let's give an example. Um, you know, Sumter County, Florence County, Orangeburg County, that's our three markets. Um, they have county council members. To the county council in Florence County, I was a member, and it was nine separate districts. What if we had five districts and four at-larges, or six six districts and three at-larges? Expand upon uh, that mindset. I'm a big fan of that. I mean, it's not a parliamentary form of government, but it forces you to, to basically consolidate factions to create a governing uh, majority. I, I like at-large memberships. What if the state of South Carolina concluded – and I'm being very hypothetical and theor- theoretical here for a second, but what if the state of South Carolina and its political leadership um, decided that we can't continue down this road because, as Rick said, um, and I've said, Greenville, Charleston, Norrie will have too much political influence. Of the 5.5 million people that live in South Carolina, they'll have about nearly 2 million of the 5.5 million will reside in those three counties, and the, the way we legislate our political representation will be too disproportional and heavily weighted toward those three counties. What if we, I want to be real innovative here for a second, get way out of the box, but I think this makes sense. What if we had statewide senators? What if of the 46 senators, let's not change the number, but we had 
six elected statewide, four elected statewide, five elected. I don't know what the number is, but is there a benefit? Is there advantage? Are we better governed? When do we have more people held accountable to the state in its entirety? I mean, there, there aren't as many people in rural South Carolina, but there's still a lot of people there. I mean, the 34 counties that, that are by and large rural counties, I'm thinking about, uh, Carl was talking about New York. The difference in New York and South Carolina, South Carolina does not have um, anywhere in its state a designated med- major metropolitan area. There's no question that Charleston has become an international city and a destination point. I mean, what is it, Condé Nest or whatever that travel magazine has rated, you know, Charleston, the number one city, uh, destination city in America for the last, I think in the world, one year, but in America for the last, what, three of the last five years or something like that. Um, but but what if we what if we got real innovative the way we govern ourselves and we said, okay, um, our, the, you know, the, the visionaries of the, um, of the revolution, the visionaries of the Constitution, um, they saw it one way. Can we improve upon that? Um, instead of nine county council districts in Florence County, we have five districts or six districts and three or four at-large members. I mean, it's harder to run at-large, no question about it. But you are a, um, you're a bigger influencer in that because you're held accountable and you work for everybody in the entire county. Um, what if we had four senators that represented the entire state? Five senators that represented the entire state. I mean, I'm not saying that's what we need to do, but there's some um, that there may be more innovation in improving the way we govern ourselves than we think it is. It, we got this romance and, and nostalgia associated with how we govern, and very often we're reluctant, hesitant to step that far out of the box. But I've always felt that that government can always be improved. I mean, I'm in the private sector. I've been in the private sector my entire life. Um, there's an old saying in the private sector, if you're standing still, you're backing up. If you're not making a better widget today than you did yesterday, um, you're losing ground in the marketplace. The public sector doesn't quite see things that way. And I accept the public sector can't function or operate as the private sector does, but it can certainly embrace some innovation as the private sector has. So I'm always looking for, I mean, I'd like to do this to create conversations and to be a bit provocative. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's very interesting. I mean, I would vote today, if I were allowed to vote today to take the nine districts in Florence County, create six districts and three at-large members, I would do that today. And then we'd vote that way in November. Now, I'm not in charge of the world, and I was thinking about this. We're going to—the Senate voted unanimously to change daylight savings time. The House has not addressed it yet. I don't know what Pelosi's thinking about it, um, but we'll find out. But if they do it, it's going to take a year. In other words, we got to fall back one more time and spring forward one more time because the airlines have already sold tickets in advance. Um, so it takes a long time for things to happen in government. I understand some of the complexities of the public sector are a little more profound than the private sector. But, but you know, innovating, innovative thinking in the way we govern ourselves, I, I think should be embraced. But I, mean, I think there's a reason to be more creative in that sort of way. What would it require legislatively to make a change like that? Don't is, have that any a, idea. is that a constitutional change? I, I would imagine, yeah, I would imagine an amendment, a referendum. I don't have any idea. Um, you'd have to, well, I could find out. Let, let's do this. Uh, I don't know if I can do it during the next break, but let's reach out to someone and ask if Florence County, Sumter County, Orangeburg County decided that they wanted to move away from single-member districts and have a blended way of government, um, what would that require? Is it a state amendment or an amendment to the state constitution? 
Um, well, I mean, the, the city has at-large members. So, so right. I mean, is it is it exclusive to municipal elections and not countywide? I don't, I don't have any idea. But, um, but I think you get better representation. Take that notion or idea and expand upon it and say, okay, um, we're concerned about the centralizing of political representation in these three or four fast-growing counties in South Carolina, and to adapt to this new reality, we're going to have four statewide senators. I, I, that's very interesting mm-hmm. and curious to me. Um, let's go to the phone. Here's Tim in Hampton. Hello, Tim. You're on the air. Good morning, Ken. Good morning, Rev. Good morning. Um, Ken, got to be careful. You're starting to sound a little bit more like a Wilsonian than a Jeffersonian. <laughs> You're right. You're right. They're, 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 no question about it. So uh, I, I agree with you. I, I'm, I am a, one of those damn Yankees. Um, I've been down here 20 years. I moved out of New Jersey in 1996 uh breeze i love you but i I think i think more like a southerner i think i always have thought more like a southerner maybe it's my grandfather who was a pentecostal preacher who brought it up in me but anyhow um i i I am concerned because i've seen the same thing in beaufort county where you've had people who have come down and they might be republicans but they are not the right kind of Republicans. And my, my concern with, 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 uh, with, the, with, with the Senate and, and some of the ideas that you're talking about is that we are running into the same problem that we have with the, with the U.S. Senate. Um, you know, the, the states lost representation when we had the direct election of senators. And so... Uh, Personally, I still I, I think uh, I, I like the idea where the counties would have um, one or maybe two uh, state senators that they would choose rather than having it determined by population, because then the county governments and and the county councils would still have some type of representation in the state government. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. That does. That makes a lot so, of sense. Uh, because I think also the other thing that you, you, you can look at, and I know that you love the numbers, and I, I, I don't spend as much time geeking out with them as you do, but you can look and see the, 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 the correlation between the 17th Amendment allowing the direct election of senators, the federal income tax, and the, the explosion and the growth, the scope, and the spending, the cost of running our federal government. And we've got to ask ourselves, do we really want to trend the same way in South Carolina that our federal government has over the last hundred years. And I know we're not going to get to the point where we're spending two, three trillion dollars a year in a state budget, but do we, like I said, do we want to trend in that same direction where the, the, the closer to home starts to have less influence than, than the, the special interests, which I think the Greenville and, and Ori and Charleston counties, that's that's essentially what they are. They become the special interests uh, that would that would be determining for the rest of the state what direction the state's going in. Bingo. Uh, thank you, guys. No, thank you. That that's very well said and very well explained. I've never heard it put that way. Um, I, I wish I'd coined that phrase. You know, Ori County becomes a special interest. Greenville becomes a special interest. Charleston becomes a special interest. And look, guys. I mean, I am happy 
I mean, you can't imagine um, the, the amount of revenue we all enjoy from the, um, from. I mean, I've told you this before and I'll say it again to, to new listeners. For whatever reason, I got a lot of the, 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 I don't know, the tax data from the state of South Carolina. As a presiding officer for the Senate, I was on some list and I'd get a lot of the tax data. And it always astounded me. I mean, I'd always kind of chuckle under my breath when I would see the gas tax revenue generated by Horry County for the state of South Carolina from, say, Memorial Day to Labor Day. But I can remember just thinking, are they pumping gas in the ocean? (laughs) There's no way there's that much gas being pumped in that little piece of land or little piece of property. Um, But, but, you know, the, the callers this morning have made interesting points. Here's the point I'm trying to make. And maybe this is uh, kind of a wrap-up on this particular subject, uh, unless you want to continue to talk about it. We, we respect the way we govern ourselves. We take great pride in being different than the rest of the world. We are, as Reagan said, the shining city on a hill, but we're not real good at it right now. I mean, we're just not. I mean, we, is local government doing an effective job leading your community? Is the state government doing a good job at effectively leading your state? I think those are debatable. I think state government has a good day and then a bad day and a good day and a bad day. And I think local government has a good day and a bad day and a good day. And and that's to be expected. I mean, business, you know, as a business guy, it's easy to throw rocks at the public sector, but how many businesses fail? How many businesses have recalls? How many businesses make big mistakes and pay big prices for that? But I don't think there's any defending the federal government today. I mean, we can argue about state government doing a good job or not. They do some things I like, and they do some other things I kind of scratch my head about. But I get it because I've been in the middle of state government at a point in time. Federal, I mean, uh, local government, I understand it. I mean, they, they, they do things at certain times. I'm like, why? Why would you believe that made any sense at all? And then the next day or the next meeting, they'll do a couple of things, and I'm going, yeah, I mean, that, that's by far the best choice you could have made. But defend the trek or trajectory our federal government's own. It's absurd. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. Nobody can defend this. I, I posed this question before. Give me something the federal government has taken on or taken on as a task of responsibility that they could do a good job of. I mean, we argued one day for the interstate highway system. I think we scratched our heads one day in the studio and tried to figure out one thing that we thought the federal government needed a little bit of a, let's give them a hand. And, and we've come up with the, the, the federal interstate program, uh, the funding and the way it was conducted. And I mean, it was kind of done under the, um, the guise of national security. If you'll notice, every so many miles, there's a, uh, you know, a, a stretch of straight, flat road that is X number of um, yards long because you could land a, a plane there if you had to. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, that's about it as far as I'm concerned. To tell me something since. I was born in 63. I was born the month after JFK was killed. JFK was killed in November of 63. I was born in December of 63. So in my lifetime, tell me something. Give me an example. If you're someone who believes that government should be entrusted with more responsibilities about managing our daily affairs, interacting or integrating themselves into our daily lives, tell me something that we're better off today because they chose to do it yesterday or the day before, since 1963. It's hard to find anything. But it really and truly is. Um, You could argue, well, Medicaid has helped poor people. But look at what cost. 
Medicare has helped older people, but at what cost? Social Security has uh, created not financial independence, but financial stability in retirees' lives. But at what cost? It's, it's honestly hard to argue. On the merits of uh, performance, something the government does, that, that I mean, I don't say we don't appreciate it because we do appreciate roads and bridges and, and highways and byways and public education, but, but look at the amount of money we're spending to get these very, very mediocre services. And I, I just think that's where we are in America. We, we talked earlier this week about the Federal Reserve. I was trying to explain this to a couple of people yesterday. I mean, the Federal I mean, imagine the logic behind the most powerful nation on this planet, arguably the, the most powerful superpower that has ever existed in the history of mankind. You and I live in the most blessed nation to have ever existed. Yet, today or tomorrow or the next day, somebody at the Federal Reserve will write a check for money that doesn't exist, but the money will be created because of them writing that check to meet obligations that the U.S. Congress has already committed to, knowing they don't have the money to pay the bill. I mean, how, can, how do we believe we can continue down that road forever? The absurdity of that. I mean, it's, it's, it's discouraging, it's concerning, it's alarming, it's a lot of different things. But I mean, just just take think about it. We're, we're not a banana republic. We're not a third world nation. We are the preeminent superpower on this planet. And we have an, an entity outside of government, but kind of inside of government, but outside of government, but kind of inside of government. And our Congress commits you, the American taxpayer, to a bill that they know they don't have the ability to pay. You're writing a check for a million dollars, you know you got a thousand in the bank. I mean, that's kind of the analogy I use, but you write the check anyway. And somebody at the Federal Reserve says, okay, Congress wrote this check that they don't have the money in the bank to, to make good, so we got to create out of thin air. They don't go to their deposits and loan the government money. They create money out of thin air. How are we the preeminent superpower on the planet when that has become so normalized? It's just hard for me to believe that we don't believe at some point in time that train doesn't crash. It, it, <laughs> I have no words for that reality. <laughs> and that tells you how serious it well, is. I mean, just think of that, Rev. I mean, just think of what. Oh, I know. I mean, we're, we're, and it's not $1,000 here, $100 there. It's a trillion here. It's a trillion there. It's another trillion over there. I mean, the, the absurdity of that, that, that Congress, the people we elect, spend money that they know full well they don't have, knowing that there's another entity inside, outside of government that can create money out of thin air and pay the bill that they didn't have the money to pay. And we call ourselves a superpower. Take a break. Back in a minute. said it earlier, I'll say it again this afternoon, or excuse me, this morning on a Friday. Um, as threatening as Russia is, as big a concern as China is, the fall of America may end up being the Federal Reserve. Seriously, I mean, the Federal Reserve may be a bigger threat 
to our safety and prosperity than either Russia or China. Mm. I mean, they are our geopolitical adversaries, one in one regard, the other obviously in another. But, but the Federal Reserve is a menace and danger to the future and potential of America. Let's go to the phone. Earl in Bennettsville. Hi, Earl. You're on the air. Good morning. My, my comment is simply this. Back, say, and I use this phrase, 100 years ago, when each county had their own senator, you had Gascoy and Marion, you had Lindsay and Marlboro, Carmichael and Dillon, Spotmazingo and Darlington. Each county proportionately shared in the funds that the state dispersed based on how good an argument you could put up. But now that you have a senator say uh, that lives in A County and represents BNC, the county that they reside in, nine out of ten times, receives preferred treatment over the other counties they represent. Now, our state in its wisdom decided to do this, and I, I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's good. I don't think it's good for the constituency. And as far as the Federal Reserve, if they don't quit making money, we're going to end up like Venezuela, where you're going to have a wheelbarrow to buy a loaf of bread. Y'all have a good weekend and be safe out there. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. Why does that man remind me of Soggy Sweat? <laughs> the guy that does the wiki, whiskey, whiskey speech. speech. I, mean, he sound, I mean, he sound just like Soggy Sweat. Uh, give the whiskey speech. He's talking about, I mean, he named the senators, some of the, um, some of the individual senators and the individual, you make a convincing argument. You make a compelling argument. That's always been the nature of American politics. Um, if you're in Allendale, South Carolina, and your population is only what, nine or 10,000, I think the entire population of Allendale County is, um, 7,800 McCormick County is about 9,000. Um, I mean, if you're the Senator from Allendale, you, 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 you bury yourself in politics. You try to make a convincing argument. You try to get the senators from um, Greenville, Charleston, and Ori to go along with your, because you believe this is in the best interest of your people and the state in whole. And uh, it, it's a perplexing situation. There is no doubt about that. But um, the, the point I'm trying to make, is it dangerous? Ah, that's an unfair word. Is it alarming to South Carolinians to know that one-third of your entire Senate could come from three, uh, three counties? I mean, there could be 15 senators from Greenville, Charleston, and Ori. Does that concern you to effectively and efficiently govern the affairs of South Carolina? Let's go to the phone. Here's Steve in Florence. Good morning, Steve. Morning, guys. You guys had an officer on there yesterday um, telling people to drive slower and all that. No, you guys can't drive down here. You guys haven't even figured out how to turn your headlights on yet. Well, alone blinkers. What do you mean, you guys <laughs> yeah, down what's this? here? I'm from up north. <laughs> My car insurance went up a hundred bucks when I moved down here. Interesting. Why did you? Why, why did you move? Why, why did you move down here? Uh, taxes. Okay. And Illinois is corrupt. Like you guys are talking about the coast running your country, Chicago and Springfield run Illinois. If you, if you look at a map, the entire state's red. Except for, you know, Cook County and whatever county Springfield is. Interesting. Um, but I had a question. All these 
weapons that we're giving Ukraine? Are they paying us for this? Or are we just kind of, you know, here they are. No, these these are gifted. There is no bill associated with that. This is a um, this is a foreign aid, uh, mutual support, military benefit. No, that there is no um, there's no expected payment for all the military there's armaments. Payment behind it, because if you listen to the media, Ukraine's winning, Russians losing. So what are we giving them crap for? They're not. They don't need the help if they're winning. Thank and, you. Uh, um, Continue. Finish your thought. I'm uh, sorry. Um, Tucker was talking about the border in Mexico there, and I used to deliver to Laredo um, do peanuts at Georgia and how the cartel is doing a war down there. Um, How come we're not sending our troops over there to squash that? And that's all I got. Thank you, sir. That's a lot. Paying too much for insurance, (laughs) less in taxes. Driving too slow. Driving too slow. (laughs) We down here drive too slow. Uh, Okay. You up there. Um, anyway, we'll leave that. let's don't go down the road. Uh, I'll tell you, if South Carolina gets in a we down here, are you up there debate? Um, it won't be long. You up there may win. Uh, <laughs> there may be more of, um, I'll, I'll go to the, there may be more of them than there are of us, uh, especially when you go along the coast. Uh, it, it is, um, it's a different place than, than the Ori County and Georgetown County. I grew up visiting. I mean, it's and just isn't that what we're kind of talking about with concentrated representation down there? And if, if there's, I guess, people from different parts of the country bringing, bringing different political ideas and they vote people into office and then have a huge influence on the state and it changes kind of the, the political fabric of our state. No, no question isn't about that what it. you're talking I mean, about, if, ultimately? If, let's use Horry County as an example. I mean, Horry County grew in the past census at 42%. They're projected to grow at about 44%. In the next census, um, and Rev, you'll find this interesting. You've been in media in this market for a long time. 15 years ago, uh, maybe 20 years ago, the Florence market and the Myrtle Beach market were about equal. The Florence market may have been a little bit bigger than the Myrtle Beach market. Am I misspeaking? No, you're right. The television stations were located where? In Florence. In Florence. They had satellite offices at the beach. Yeah, because this this was a little bigger economy. And and all of a sudden, you wake up one day. so, So Florence has a population of 138,000, and that is about what it's projected to. It's about, I think, the projection is 142,000, so we have a bit of an uptick here in Florence County. Sumter's about the same. Uh, its growth is projected to be less than 1%. Its growth in the past census was less than 1%. Arnberg actually declined pretty significantly. Arnberg had about a uh, 3.5% decline in population. Uh, and then you get Horry County, 42% population growth over the next 10 years, and that gets it to about 546,000 residents. If there are as many people dying in Horry County as being born in Horry County, but they're growing by about 48 people a day, where are those people coming from? They're coming from um, above the Mason-Dixon line, by and large. Um, are they coming to escape high taxes? Are they coming to enjoy better weather? Are they coming for a coastal lifestyle or more affordable living? Yes. To all of those. I mean, I would imagine all of those things are cumulatively uh, why they come uh, down south. And they're stopping in South Carolina. You know, historically, they've made their way all the way down to Florida. Well, I think Florida's about full. I'm sorry. I mean, <laughs> I think Florida's about full. So they're stopping somewhere before they get to Florida. And sat the South Carolina coast has become a very attractive place to people from somewhere other than, than here. But to your point, you damn right it changes the political makeup of our state. I mean, if all of a sudden the people of Horry County, and there's 546,000 of those, 
And the, the next census tract will have a Senate district estimated to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 120,000 residents. Well, let me do the math. That means Horry County will elect about five senators. And, and a lot of those people electing those senators, as, as Bree said earlier, are not native South Carolinians. Doesn't make them bad people. I mean, I'm not insinuating by any stretch that they're bad people. They probably benefit the state, but it's different. I mean, there's a certain social fabric and well-being of states. We are a southern state. There's a southern value system here that, that we adhere to, we believe in, we're proud of. And that gets functionally changed when that many people not from here uh, infiltrate <laughs> our coastal areas of South Carolina. Let's go to the phone. Jim in Florence. Good morning, Jim. Hey, good morning, guys. So when you look at the federal government, I think the argument is that we're a, a collection of states and not a collection of people. Um, I think we just have to have a fundamental argument about what we are on a state level. Clearly, the Supreme Court thinks that we're a collection of people and not a collection of counties. Um, I would certainly argue differently, but I would imagine Horry County would argue that we're a collection of people. Um, is it is it time to break up some of these bigger counties? Is it? But on the same token, is it time to merge some of these smaller counties? Um, but clearly, with, with losing the Senate. Per, senator per county, the the county itself doesn't really matter anymore. Um, but uh, so I think we just have to answer that fundamental question: What are we? Are we a collection of counties, or are we a collection of people? Thank you. Kevin. Thank you, Jim. Well, I mean, the first thing we got to do is generate a conversation. I mean, how many of you ever heard of Reynolds versus Sims? I mean, that that's the the Supreme Court decision with the Warren Court that led to. The overturning, that's probably not the right word, um, the the usurping of the authority of the Alabama Constitution when it came to equal protection clause or the equal protection clause of the 14th Amendment. And and when you get into the language of Reynolds versus Sims, um, talking about states and, and the federal government, why can't the federal government continue to have, you know, the same number of senators in Wyoming and the same numbers of senators in New York, but they mandate of the said several states to do something fundamentally different it go their language, not mine. Unitary republic opposed to federal republic. Jim explained it. You know, are we a collection of counties? Are we a collection of people? Are we a collection of um of pine trees? Are we a collection of rivers and streams? Yes, to all of those. But but the court decided that because of the Fourteenth Amendment, because of the Equal Protection Clause, we must have one man, one vote, unless it's the federal government, and then we don't. Because if we had one man, one vote. California and New York would have one-third of the Senate. Maybe not one-third. They'd have 25% of the Senate because that's where the population centers are. So the founders, in their infinite wisdom, did not want to make um, political campaigns and presidencies all about going to California and going to New York and campaigning. Um, we got electoral. That's the intent of the Electoral College. That's also the intent of, um, of the Senate. And the, the Reynolds v. Sims case overturned that and basically made it null and void. The point I'm trying to make is, should South Carolina be allowed to consider the one county, one senator or a consolidation of counties? I mean, Jim just put an interesting, I mean, there's been some talk of that. I mean, when I was in Columbia uh, years and years ago, we, we sat one day and talked about, you know, this county probably needs to be a third of the size these three counties probably need to be one. So there's always been some some conversations 
about these particular situations. Um, but is it time for South Carolina to explore what its options are, or are we going to be okay with the with the current conditions? And, and those conditions will lead to a more centralized influence in our state Senate to the point that I could argue it's monopolized. Who has the monopoly? It's not just one county. No, but it's about three or four counties. I mean, by the time we're done with this, half the population of South Carolina will reside in about four or five counties. Is that good for governance? I mean, are we trying to abide laws um, or are we, well, I mean, this is a weird way to say it. Is the law always the right thing? I mean, shouldn't the ambition of the governments of South Carolina to do a better job of policing its people or governing its people? Policing is a bad word. I mean, it, it, shouldn't that be the ultimate intent? I mean, shouldn't the government of South Carolina have a, uh, a selfish interest in making sure it is effectively governing the affairs of our state? Well, I mean, if we believe that, it's hard to argue that we need to continue to do it the way it appears we're going to continue doing it. Because when you look at the projections of population growth, it becomes a bigger issue in the next census and a bigger issue even in the next census. And the majority of this is coastal driven. I mean, Greenville's the outlier, but the majority of increase in population is counties touching the ocean or counties near a county that touches the ocean. Berkeley County's growing like crazy. You know why? Charleston's about full. Back in a minute. The United States lost about 7,000 American military men and women in the 21 years we were in Afghanistan. 21 years, lost about 7,000 people. Russia has lost about 7,000 soldiers in three weeks. I mean, that puts it in a bit of perspective. Um, is the Russian military as competent as we were led to believe? I mean, they're, they're powerful. There's no doubt about this. They've got more weaponry than, than Ukraine by far. But their competency seems to be um, stretching or, 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 or not as... Um, not as obvious as we anticipated. I think we, I think Putin may have thought this was going to be, you know, kind of, kind of like robbing a liquor store. Go in, knock somebody in the head with a bottle, pull your gun, and walk out with whatever you choose to walk out with. And he's finding out something very different um, than that. It kind of leads me, I mean, a couple of numbers here that matter to me. Uh, once again, 7,000 Russian soldiers have been killed in three weeks. I mean, there's some accountings of 14,000. Uh, there's some as low as 2,000. Most of the reports I see that appear to be trustworthy and, and well-researched and documented suggest that somewhere around 7,000 Russians have been killed in the last three weeks. That is about the same number of American soldiers who died in Afghanistan in 21 years. Um, how many of us would fight if forced? And I mean this, I mean, if you had a choice to, to grab your M16 and, and, and stand guard and, and, and fight whomever the opposition would be or skedaddle, um, what would you do? And the latest poll shows that about 55% of Americans say they would stand and fight. They believe that the, the American experiment is worth defending. To be a part of this is um, the, the, the risk of dying is worth the reward of being an American. I mean, in essence, that's kind of the argument we're making here. Um, 38% make no bones about it. They'd flee. They'd skedaddle, as I said a second ago. Here's kind of an interesting number within uh, the numbers. 
68% of Democrats say they would flee. 25% of Republicans say that they would flee. And to me, that's just a very, very interesting. Yeah. Uh, you gotta, what, what do you make of that? Yeah, you either grab an M16 or you throw your case of, um, your case of wine in your Volvo SUV and you ride off to Canada. But that you know, there, that, that, there's a mindset in America, Reb. Um, Victor David Hansen wrote The Dying Citizen. And in The Dying Citizen, he proposed. Now, he just argued. He didn't say, I'm sure I'm right or I know I'm, I'm on the right trail. But he proposed that the Western concept of civilization, excuse me, of citizenship, um, which, which kind of balances its rights and obligations. I mean, what is a right? If you've got the right to vote, what is your obligation to, to, to be informed? If you've got the right to be free, what is your obligation to live responsibly? So, so in The Dying Citizen, Victor David Hansen, a great conservative thought leader, proposes that the Western concept of citizenship is waning, that it's losing its balance of rights and obligations, and uh, its values have steadily eroded and it's turning all of us, all of us into mere residents. Um, the commitment to a shared culture and a shared past is waning, and we're residents of America now instead of of citizens. Um, Putin, no argument, no argument here. Putin has been brainwashing uh, the Russians into this concept of patriotism. I mean, you can like it or not, but he's um, I mean, maybe it's mindless patriotism. But we tend to have promoted um, disavowing patriotism um, in the name of, I don't know, mindless equality and mindless equity and uh, mindless diversity and all of these other things. I would encourage you, and I mean this sincerely, I don't give much uh, assignment or schoolwork, but I think now would be a most appropriate time to read uh, The Dying Citizen by Victor David Hansen because, once again, his proposal that Western or the Western concept of citizenship um, is really eroding right before our very eyes. And, and once again, how does Putin convince Russia to do what they're doing? Um, well, I mean, obviously you brainwash, control the media, state-run media, and you, you threat, you, um, you bully, you intimidate. But, but there is a mindless patriotism that exists. 7,000 Russian soldiers have died in the name of liberating Ukraine. I mean, they, they believe that. They, they believe that they're there to liberate Ukraine and a better life awaits the Ukrainians. They'll embrace some of the communist totalitarian values of Western, excuse me, of Russian culture. Um, and the majority of Americans say that, um, well, the majority of Democrats, not Americans, the majority of Americans, 55%, say they stand and fight in the name, not of residency, but of citizenship. 68% of Democrats say they'd load their Volvo up with their craft beer and um, cannabis, and they'd skedaddle. They'd make their way out of uh, skedaddle. Well, I mean, they they'd make their, their make their way out of town. That's one of my um my middle kid uses that word a lot. <laughs> it's time to skedaddle. That's a, that's yeah. a good word. When when when, Flo like when Florida scored that touchdown to make it forty seven to nothing in two thousand sixteen or whenever it was, uh, my son said it's about time to skedaddle, and I said, "Yep, time to leave," <laughs> and we skedaddled and left. <laughs> All at the same time. Take a break. Back in just a minute. 937, someone's on the phone. Got about a minute. Let's go there. Dave, 
in North Carolina. Hi, Dave. Hey, man. Hey, really quick. All those guys that want to cut and run, I don't care what their political affiliation is. If they want to cut and run, cool. But when they cut and run, they leave their citizenship papers here. After we whip somebody because losing is not an option, they don't come back unless they want to pay for a visa and they want to stay in one of our hotels. That's just the way it is. There's a cost for, there's a cost for freedom, and if they don't want to pay it, cool. Let them stay where they went. Uh, that's pretty much all I got to say. I appreciate it. Um, Thank you, Dave. Well, appreciate that. I mean, it is a bit discouraging that only 55% of Americans say they would stand and fight. Um, truth is, probably 90% don't know what they do if put in that position. 38% said they would flee or skedaddle. Um, <laughs> 68% of Democrats admit that they don't believe uh, the life they're living is worth um, fighting for. That's kind of an interesting number. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937 on a Springsteen Friday. So, Rev, does that mm. – I mean, you kind of like that. You've told me before that you can tolerate that song. Sure. Oh, yeah, that's okay. okay. It's okay. And that's not a hit. <laughs> that would be a deep cut, right? Yeah. On one it's of a, the, it's um, a minor hit. Yeah, th- there you go. Hey, um, there are radio shows, and then there are um, not-so-feeble attempt at radio brilliance. So – you, you know that you have uh, uh, a bit of sway, a bit of swagger, a bit of, um, of relevancy in the political world when you reach out to two uh, elected officials, both members of the House of Representatives, and, um, and they agree to come on in a moment's notice. Now, now I've extended, uh, remember Thigpen was kind of a feature of this show, and, um, and Doc is dealing with some health issues. We don't know if he's coming back or not or when he's coming back or not. But um, but I've asked Philip Lowe and Jay Jordan, Representative Lowe and Representative Jordan, um, I basically kind of an open door policy. Come on Friday, and we'll discuss the week that was, the week that will be, and both have agreed to come in here this morning. So first of all, welcome and thank you to both of you for on a moment's notice. Uh, but imagine a politician not taking an opportunity to talk about things. I mean, that's just that, that's kind of oxymoronic in its own in its own light. But I want I want to delve into something with you guys because I do believe this. The the the, the luxury I have, Philip and Jay is I don't have to answer to the voter. I'm the listener and the audience and the advertiser are my metrics and measurables. You guys have voters, and you have to be sensitive to what those voters. But I believe in America today, and I think Trump has really established this as somewhat of a normal, that, that politicians are rewarded more than ever for speaking very candidly and frankly about, about certain things. First of all, do you guys agree that in this new era, in this new age, you're not punished if you say things that, that normally would have been perceived a bit controversial. Well, first, th- thank you for having me. And I'll tell you, it's been an, an honor. It's an honor. And I signed up again to do this like, for another two years if the voters will have me. But thanks to all my voters who have put me there. I think people want to hear it straight up. I think they've been tired of listening to, oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. What you're basically saying is if, if we have an opportunity with the majority vote to do these things, these are the things I'm going to be pushing for and voting for. But you don't go up there, one guy, and just do something. You know, we, we, we have heard those promises over and over and get up there and it doesn't seem to happen. And that's what people are frustrated with. So, yeah, I think basic frank talk, honesty, and tell them like it is with, with what's coming up and, and what's going on in their lives. That, that's what they are concerned about. Jay, I uh, also thank you for having me this morning. Thank you uh, to, to the people of Florence to, that have sent me to the state house. Uh, it is, as Philip said, an honor to do that, and I, I appreciate that honor. Uh, and I, I'd agree. I think it's 
uh, true. I think a lot of it is driven by the craziness of, of Washington, D.C. I think people, you know, have see uh, the craziness that goes on in D.C. And, uh, you know, someone says we're going to turn left and we turn they turn right. Uh, someone says and, and also just the craziness of the policies that are that are pushed forward. And I think that trickles into an effect both on a state level and a local level uh, of frustration uh, that that like we've never seen before. Um, so, yes, I would agree. People want to hear it straight. People want to uh, want to see that you are what you say you are and you, you live up to what you say you're going to do. I, I want to stick with you for a second. Then I want to get Philip Phillips, the senior member of the delegation. You Thank chaired goodness. the redistricting. Yes, sir. I, I've tried to study this math, and you and I have had 100 conversations about some of the struggles you dealt with, some of the issues the state's dealing with. But but I I don't know. Earlier this week, we began talking about this lawsuit, Reynolds v. Sims, and it basically overturned the Alabama Constitution, one county, one senator. And it became uh, the, the 14th Amendment, the Equal Protection Clause, and you know you can't base districts on acreage or pine trees or how many rivers it has. It's, it's rather the people. Now, the federal government is, you know, you got the House that's based on those numbers, and then you've got Wyoming with his number, the same number of senators as California does. But but when I look at South Carolina, and I look at the, the, the explosion of growth along the coast, and I looked at some of the projected numbers, and these are fairly valid numbers, Greenville County in 2030 is projected to have 693,000 people. Charleston County is projected to have 519,000 people. Horry County is projected to have 546,000 people. So those three counties, Jay and Phillip, will have 1.758 million of the 5.5 million people who are estimated to be in South Carolina. And if you look at the districting, um, how many how many voters are per Senate district today? Is it 110,000 or somewhere thereabout? A L- little more than that okay. in, in the upcoming and the new. Um, in the new numbers. In the new numbers is a little bit more than that. Um, the house, I'm of course intimately familiar sure, sure. with, having lived lived it for the last nine months or so. Uh, if you go back ten years in the in the South Carolina House, the districts were about thirty six thousand people. Uh, due to the growth in South Carolina, uh, a little over forty one thousand people will be the magic number population wise moving forward uh, in with the new data. But what do we do? And I'll ask both of you to chew on this because we talked about frank talk and candid conversations. Um, is it going to be a problem if the majority of political representation is centralized in Charleston County, in Greenville County, in Horry County? And are there things we can do to, to create a, a better way to govern ourselves? You know, I definitely think it's an issue we're going to have to deal with. You know, I've, as I said, I've spent the last nine months wrestling with the law, which is essentially that one person, one vote concept. You don't want one district to have a whole lot more people than another and then they each have a representative and they have the same voice and the same vote and one represents a lot more people than the other that well that totally violates the concept of one person one vote um but it's definitely the issue we're going to see you know south carolina as you've done a great job on the show of explaining uh is growing but that's not the entire story some places are growing at a a a very very fast pace you, you named a few of them another one is that rock hill area mm-hmm. outside of charlotte that is simply exploding york county and lancaster um, county in particular and when you look at the house what we had to do to to account for that growth due to the one person one vote fundamental the law uh, we had to create some new districts and and uh, shrink some others uh and if you look at, and i think you talked about this in the last couple of days as well 
we're not special in the sense in South Carolina. We're, we're growing in some areas, we're losing in some areas, and we're mostly learning, losing in those rural areas. Uh, I can really shrink it down and look at in the PD and in Florence. You look at the area I represent in District 63, it had about 36,000 people 10 years ago, and it has about 41,000 people today. It grew and kept up with that average pace. When you get out into the rural areas around that, not so much. And that's essentially an example of what's going on in South Carolina and what's going on across the country. Philip, your, your take on that? Well, no doubt we have to figure ways of growing. We have to grow jobs. We have to grow industry. We have to put our our efforts into sites that will bring jobs to this area and grow. But that's not going to save the little small places in the lower part of the county. I mean, we've got to consider that as we grow. Now, this infrastructure bill, that money is going to get spread everywhere. But while we can invest it in growth, a lot of them have to invest in just basic drinking water. So there's there's a huge difference between our rural areas in Florence County, like you said, and, and the suburbs and the city limits area. So if we can grow faster, then we won't lose representation and won't lose power. But, but that's it in a nutshell. If not, the big cities will take over the power base. They already have. And I would say I 100% agree with that. Growing is necessary growing the right way in the right place. You know, where Philip and I live, we, we are growing. Um, you know, if you ride around, uh, there's more traffic, there's, sure. more, there's more neighborhoods, there's more everything. Um, but we've got to get the infrastructure in place and the, and, and the help, like Philip just described, with the water and, and try and bring industry to the areas right around us. And I'm not talking about an hour away. I'm talking about 10, 20, 30 minutes away so that those areas can grow and, and we build from a countywide basis, so to speak. Let's hypothesize for a second. I'll start with you, Representative Lowe. Um, neither one of you in the Senate, but she's the Senate as an example because it's smaller. 46 members, 46 counties, 46 members. Um, I'm not going to ask you if you're in favor of one county, one senator, but, but the reality is there will be a disproportional representation in three or four counties. Uh, when you do the math, I mean, let's say that is 120,000 voters per district in 2030, and Horry County's got 600,000 people, you know, living there. Greenville County's got 600,000 people living there. Um, would you be in favor of exploring the court decision that disallows for one county and one state? Is that something that our state needs to consider? I'm not saying go on the record and say I support it or not, but, but hypothesizing, is that something we need to put on the table? That's something that could be brought forward. I mean, you probably have to change the makeup of the court to get a different decision, you know, I, th I think. But here's what I would do in the meantime. If you're in a position of power where you're helping to divide the money, then you've got to figure ways of rewarding counties rather than just population. So, And you're talking well, about the Ways and Means of the House and the Finance Committee and the Senate. That's right. Okay. And, and so as you start dividing the money up, then you have to – say just you don't have as many people but you have even more needs than the more urban areas the more wealthier areas in our state so you divide the money to get it into the rural sections and you don't go by population when you do that you go by some needs jd do you do you believe the house has an interest in i mean obviously you're held accountable to your voters uh, Representative Lowe's held accountable to his voters. The same thing at Ori and Greenville and Charleston County. I mean, does does the, the, the does the appropriations process allow for an equalizing uh, of the state's assets and allocation? 
I absolutely think that's the the mechanism on the table, so to speak, to deal with that. I think Phillip's right. That's probably at this juncture, unless, like he said, you you go down the road of changing, you know, the Supreme Court and getting them to revisit, and that's 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 the vehicle on the table, so to speak. But back to your question, I absolutely agree. You know, go back and look at the founding of the country. Uh, it was set up where uh, on in the House of Representatives, uh, much like what we have in South Carolina, is designed for that population process to account for the seats. And so Texas has a lot more congressmen than South Carolina, and, and that's the way it's set up. Yet we have the same number senators as every other state. And I think that's a good system to help keep that balance between the metropolitan areas that you're describing that are blowing up and have been across this country for, you know, hundreds of a couple hundred, more than a couple hundred years now, uh, and keep that balance between rural uh, and metropolitan and everything in between because that's you know one of the great things about Florence one of the things I love about Florence County it's got a little bit of everything you know we have our quote metropolitan downtown and look at what downtown's done and it's been great to watch and be a part of and go down there and, and see it and, and again be a part of it but we have some of those beautiful countryside uh, in in the world and to see what we do agriculturally uh, and to see us grow in those things I mean it, it's a great great thing Philip, do, do do the do the House members and the senators? I mean, you don't you're not a senator, but you keep up with the senators. Do do the the people in Charleston, Greenville, and I'm using these three as an example: Greenville, Charleston, and Horry County. Do they understand the disproportional way we're growing, and are they receptive to the way you want to appropriate state funds? I mean, men in their hearts are greedy, right? Sure. So the people who have power will, will take the money. I mean, that's just how it works. Um, but the survival could, of the fittest. I mean, it really is. But you remember, you presided in the Senate, and you could watch one senator stop the whole show. So there's a balance within the Senate where it doesn't take but a few in the minority position to hold up anything for three weeks in a row and filibuster and, and take over the discussion until they get some of their demands met. So the Senate's a different animal than the House. One guy in the House just can't do that. The one senator can. So a rural senator can start squeezing the body to get more pulled that way. So it's not as bad as you describe it. It's just 100% urban versus rural because of the way the Senate operates. Yeah, and it does. Um, it levels the playing field itself. Yeah. That's kind of what you're saying. Can you guys hang around a, a bit? I want to take a break, come back, and talk about the budget. I mean, we're working on the budget, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I want to tell us the, t- tell us the voters as much as you can about where we are in the budgeting process and what appears to be uh, the state government's priorities. Back in just a minute. Nothing woke about Wake Up Carolina. You can bet you're sweet behind on that, mm-hmm. right, Rev? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, if we are on satellite radio, I'd say some more colorful things, but <laughs> I, I've, I've already exceeded my quota for profanity in the show this morning. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we began the show with, and the Philistine fail. And anybody um, biblically sound understands that um, David and Goliath, Kentucky, and St. Saint, uh, Peter. I'm not mistaken, 15 seed and a two seed. And um, the two seed got beat by the 15 seed. I think wrecked a bunch of brackets. Yeah, I'm sure it did. No question about it. Um, you know what I say? Goody. Because as a Gamecock fan, uh, this two seed Gamecocks played 15 seed Coppin State and got beat by a coach named Fang. Um, <laughs> when you get fanged, you, you know that's a, uh, a bad day. So Representative Philip Lowe, Representative Jay Jordan are with us. Um, it's budget week. I've always, uh, I remember I had very little to do in my time in Columbia during budget week. I mean, they, you know, it's all hands on deck at um, 
at setting the budget, trying to figure out the best way to allocate resources and spend taxpayer dollars. Uh, Representative Lowe, you're on the Ways and Means. I'll lead with you, and then I'll go to Representative Jordan. Um, what can you tell us about where we are and how we're prioritizing? Well, South Carolina is in the best shape I've ever seen it. Before this budget, I had never seen more than $2 billion extra dollars to spend, and we were sitting on about $5 billion extra dollars. So, I mean, thank God we – the first thing I said in that room, everybody says, you don't, you know, you don't like these back room politics. I'm going to tell you, you want somebody in the back room, they'll stand up for you. I said, the first thing we got to do is get some tax cuts. So there's a billion in tax cuts. Um, we're putting a billion into roads and some of that billion will draw down four to one money from the feds. So we're going to speed up a lot of the interstate improvements that we need. We're also putting uh, three times the money in our county road system. We're sending money back to the CTC to spend locally, so I'm excited about that. Uh, the reserve fund, we're going from 5%, we're going towards 7% in reserves, and that may be something we need. I mean, there, I heard the, the bad recession word on the radio yesterday that it could be a recession coming, so we're going to have keep building our reserves up for, for those times and i'm particularly excited about law enforcement we funded the the base pay the starting salary for law enforcement that worked for the state by a 17 percent increase in one year when you throw in a fifteen hundred dollar bonus plus a three percent raise on top of that for being a state employee we're going to be starting salaries at $50,000 for Highway Patrol. We exceed Georgia and North Carolina. So I am very happy for those brave men and women who's been deserving this for a long time. That sounds like a conservative. Spend money, give back to the taxpayer, spend it on law enforcement, spend it on infrastructure. I mean, That's we it. can argue about what the core function of I, I think most conservatives would agree maintaining roads and bridges and securing people's safety is a priority. Uh, Representative Jordan? No, I agree. I, I think South Carolina economically, uh, our economic picture is as good as I've seen it since I've been at the state house. Um, and I, I agree with what uh, Philip said, and you just said that this is a balanced approach to what we do in a positive economic period. You give money back to the taxpayer; uh, it's their money, it's our money as as folks that pay those taxes, and you give money back to. And I'm also glad in South Carolina we're looking at how we, um, you know, we've been beat up a little bit over the last couple of years that our our tax rate is higher uh, than those states around us. And that's not exactly true. Explain that, if you don't mind, the, the two of you. I mean, there, there's, a, there's a formula there that gets confusing. Yeah, we, it, you know, there's the tax rate, and then there's the effective tax rate. Uh, what we do in South Carolina, unlike a lot of states around us, is we, we allow you, when you, look at your, when you go do your taxes, when you take all your, that 7%, uh, we don't start off the top like most states do. We start at your after you've already taken your federal tax deductions through the Trump tax cuts and things, and then you take the 7% down from that. So an effective tax rate, we're actually in the three and a half, four neighborhood, much lower than our states around us. But um, we need to make that more simpler for people to understand so that we're, you know, the secret is, or the, the goal is always be competitive because uh, we're, we're in a competition with the states around us to grow industry, keep industry, and to, to be prosperous. And any, any one of you, I'll put you on the spot here a bit. Um, how, how do you think, how do you expect the PD to fare in some of these allocations? Um, there's kind of a fight for dollars. I'm familiar with that. I mean, you know, Leatherman was our Senate finance chair forever and ever and ever, and he took care of bringing home 
um, our fair share. Um, any Either one of you care to speculate on how you think we're going to fare? I'm not saying commit to me that X number of dollars will make it to wherever you say it, but I mean, how do you expect we'll fare? Because this will be our first, first budget without a PD senator chairing the finance committee. Uh, that's a fair question, isn't it, Philip? Well, the House version came out. It's got to go to the Senate. And they've got, of course, some different ideas where to put it. Um, you know, it, I want to get our share, too. We paid in our share of taxes. I want to get our share back, plus some. So right now, I'm trying to carry two buckets of money back to the PD, and hopefully the Senate will let us keep it. But you're not a senator, so we'll see how that works out on the on the other side. Um, I want to I want to shift gears and go to one issue before I let you guys get out of here. Thank you again for for spending some time. We were all three at a political event this past Saturday, in different capacities and different varieties, experiencing um, different sorts of things. My daughter and I, I talk, I've talked to Jay about it, not Philip about it. My daughter and I parked and got out of the car, and we walked about twenty five or thirty yards, and she looked at me and said, "Daddy." Does he know what he's done? And we're talking about the Trump rally. She's 19. She's not as uh, as perceptive as any of us. She's not as seasoned or aware as us. But she saw something uniquely different. It was like a NASCAR race and a wrestling match and a and a football game combined into one in an airfield in a, in a town the size of Florence. There was somewhere between 10 and 15,000 people that had gathered in the name of American politics. Have either of you ever witnessed anything like the Trump phenomenon and and the effect or impact he's having on American politics, even today? Representative Lowe? I remember just prior to the 216 primary, uh, one of his consultants talked to me and said, hey, we need a spot in, in Florence. And I said, well, the PAC Center, that'll hold a thousand years. No, 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 not big enough. He said, I said, well, how about we'll do the Civic Center? That's six or 8,000. He said, well, that's probably big enough. We'll, we'll do that. And I just kind of snickered. Well, of course, I sat in line trying to get in that place forever. But my goodness, if we'd have had good uh, climate, good weather the other day, we'd have had 20,000 people coming in to see Trump. And, and so, yes, it was an event. It's exciting to see that many people want to save America. Yeah, what do you make of it? You know, I'm still mad that you two got much better parking places than I did. I I, I swear I walked and then I walked some more and then I kept walking. Um, I parked. Well, those those orange cones don't break. I mean, if you kind of <laughs> nudge them out of the way a bit, they, they, they'll move pretty easily. You know, I think I walked from Memorial Stadium <laughs> to the other <laughs> side of the airport, and I'll tell you this: it was worth. It was absolutely worth it. The answer is, uh, yes. I think he knows exactly what he's done because he's traveled around the country and he's seen this over and over and over again that people in this country uh, are mad at what some of those things i talked about a little earlier that are happening in dc that don't make any sense that are destroying the country and they want to have their voice heard and he's the one standing up and saying uh, i think you said something when we talked we saw each other on saturday that you had several people come up and say now or never and there's that sense that if we don't act if we don't take you know take charge if we don't speak up it is a now or never when it comes to the United States of America. And he, he came on behalf of um, of Russell Fry, who is a, um, a member of the General Assembly, as, as you two guys are. And Katie Arrington, I think, is a former member, if I'm not mistaken, of the General Assembly. Um, it, does it make your life more complicated? I mean, th- there is a divide within the Republican Party. There's the Trump movement, and then there are those who aren't so fond of the Trump movement. Um, does it Does it make it more complicated to be a Republican today 
answering to the people. I, I don't think there's as much a divide as people think there Explain. is. Explain. You know, th- there may have been a divide at one point in time, but look at where we are nationally. Look at what Joe Biden has done and doing to this country. I think the divide has dissipated quite a bit because people say, oh, my goodness, what we never thought this could get this far out of hand. I mean, gas and everything else, um, I think the people, I think there's a lot of regret from some of those people that you're talking about that that didn't step up and voted for, you know, I just can't vote for president. I can't vote for Donald Trump again. I think if they could have that one back, I think there's more than you think they are that would join us in this room and say, we're absolutely for for president. They would take that mulligan. No doubt about it. Representative Lowe. It's been exciting times. And I think we were looking for somebody to fight for us, not just kind of stand there, lower taxes and just go for the family, but somebody that would just, Plainly put it right in the Democrats' face, you know, let's take care of America. Let's take care of our veterans and, and look out after our borders and common sense policy. And you can see in, what, a year now? It's just they've ruined our economy. They're, they've got the recession word starting back up. So, I mean, it's obvious that, that at least Trump's policies, maybe not his banter the way he brought it all out was uh <laughs> it's colorful yeah it, it is very colorful now i was just gonna say i think that's absolutely correct in that you know one of the things philip talked about a, a while ago was reserve putting money aside adding to that reserve because of the concern that is going on with dc with what they're doing to the economy uh last thing uh filing opened up march 15 am i right it closes the end of the month uh I think it opened on the 16th. Okay, opened yesterday. Today's the 17th. This guy, that's no, it's, Wednesday. It's, Wednesday. It closed today. It's open. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But, I mean, you, you announced your intent. I mean, you, you're all in. I mean, you're I ready mean, to roll. You, you want to serve the public again. Uh, Representative Jordan, i got to believe that you filed. I mean, you, you're ready to go. You're all in. Um, and, and I support both of these guys. You know, we, we talked a lot about the Senate race and, and you know, the, the situation there. Um, I made it very clear that my concern was these two guys running against one another because I think so much – of both of you would appreciate all the hard work and diligence you've given to um to our community and our area and it's it's a new era I mean, I, and i mean this sincerely i've said it multiple times over the airwaves we had one dominant political figure in this community for an extended period of time i mean most of us knew that we don't have that anymore i mean everybody's got to pull their weight everybody everybody has to understand their responsibilities and i think both of you do as well as anybody i've ever met in your particular roles so um Representative Lowe has said he's all in. Representative Jordan, i got to believe um, you're all in as well? Yes, sir. Filed okay. yesterday, ready to go. Ready to go. Okay. Thank you very much to both of you. And um, consider yourselves with a standing invitation every Friday morning at 8 o'clock. You're always welcome to come over, and we'll kind of ramble about in the world of South Carolina politics and delve into national politics just a bit. Thanks to both of you. Thank you. Thank okay. You. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a minute. I probably shouldn't share some of these confidential conversations that we have behind the scenes because uh, it's only us imported people that are privileged <laughs> to those conversations. But um, but Representative yeah, Lowe and Representative Jordan both agreed that if I wanted this law changed, they were willing to go to the mat. <laughs> I mean, if I wanted to try to take on Reynolds v. Sims, the Supreme Court decision, oh, really? they were more than willing. Um, all I had to do was give the word and we would well. take on precedent at the um at the u.s supreme court but these guys deal with it i mean they they see now, now he made a very interesting point if you heard representative Lowe and and jordan um the senate has a way of addressing uh disproportional representation uh the the south carolina state senate uh you know how you say one monkey can't stop the whole show and they've never been to the south carolina state senate mm-hmm. 
<laughs> Mookie can stop the whole show there and the appropriations process. The ways and means in the House is the committee that appropriates monies. Tax money comes into the state. That There's a committee in the House called the Ways and Means, a committee in the Senate called the Finance Committee, and they basically argue over who gets what. You know, higher education gets this much. Roads and bridges get this much. Uh, public safety gets this much. Beach, beach renourishment gets that much. Now, some of this um, marries up to federal money, some of the pass-through money. Um, a lot of the problem with state budgets, I should have got into the details of this. I always think of a question I should have asked while they were here. Um, how much does Medicaid cost the state of South Carolina? It's an enormous amount of money. I mean, if either are listening now, which they text me, because I'm sure both know, but we have to spend an unbelievable amount of money meeting the state's obligation in the Medicaid match. That's why some states in Obamacare, Reb, didn't accept the free money, so to speak, because the free money eventually runs out, and you're responsible for the match, and um, and Medicaid continues to increase and escalate in cost, and the state's obligations continue to rise uh, in adjustment with that. So, um, so if they are in their car, I wish one would text me, uh, if they're listening, they're probably listening to Springsteen, and tell me, you know, I'm sure. um, what, what, what the number is that the state has to commit and set aside in the name of, um, of the Medicaid match. But, uh, I mean, kind of took you behind the scenes a little bit and, mm-hmm. and, and this budget week in, in the state capitol, and they're dealing with, um, setting the budget and prioritizing some of the spending, um, kind of an interesting, and I knew this, I don't know how to explain it as well as those guys do, but the 7% tax rate is not the effective tax rate because uh, the state of South Carolina allows you to get all your exemptions and then that number, the tax rate is applied to that number after the fact. So marginally, or excuse me, effectively, it's probably closer to three or three and a half uh, percent. I argue two and a half. I'd say it's closer to three, maybe three and a quarter percent, but it's not, um, it's not the seven percent and we're not that out of kilter. You know, there's a, um, and I like the attitude uh, that they have right now about lowering the taxes due to the state yeah, surplus, you know, talking about taxes, um, and, and we talk about the federal government a lot here on the show, but, but I told you, um, I'm involved in exploring whether or not to be a partner to business. And I mean, that's my life. I mean, I host a radio show, but I've got this other life out there and it's, it's, um, it's very entrepreneurial and sometimes it's productive, sometimes not so much. Um, sometimes you eat chicken, sometimes you eat feathers and, um, COVID, uh, the taste for feathers became tiring. If you, if you, know, <laughs> if you know what I mean, not a lot of chicken flying around when, when COVID came to town, it got real complicated and real difficult in small business world. But I was, Philip and I were talking about it and Jay and I were talking about it. You know, when you look at local taxes and you look at school funding and, uh, you know, the, the EMS cost and the library cost and all these other sorts of things, the majority of that cost is the funding of public education, K through 12 public education. We had a, a pretty significant tax increase. We voted down a referendum several years ago. Um, the board and administrator of the school district here in district one, um, agreed recently to raise taxes by a pretty substantial amount. And as a result of that, when you look at a pro forma, uh, I don't want to go into details and specifics, but, you know, and, and you and you run the numbers. And this is what business guys do, and business women for that matter. You run the numbers, and there's so much coming in, and there's so much going out. Business is not complicated. I don't care if you make widgets, you sell widgets, you, 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 you buy radio advertisement, you sell radio advertisement. The, the, the core, the, the core, I don't know, notion of business is 
is there more coming in than going out? I mean, you go to the Harvard School of Business, you can go to the uh, Wharton School of Finance, you can go to Stanford School of Business, you can go to Oxford or Cambridge, you can go wherever you want to go. You can get the, the, the best business degree in the history of mankind. Nothing will change that fundamental of business. Now, the government's different. I said business. Nothing will ever change the reality of do you have more coming in than you do going out. So, so I'm involved in a business, and we're trying to consider whether we've got more coming in than going out. We're sure we are do. I mean, we're sure we do until you start calculating what the estimated taxes are. I mean, imagine this. I mean, imagine 30% of all revenue going to pay your, your property tax. I mean, the, the absurdity of that, you look at debt ratios and you look at, you know, what it costs to operate and maintain and contingency and all the, and they're very, very understandable. You know exactly what you're getting for that amount of money. You borrow money from the bank, you service the debt, you pay some principal, and in 15, 20, or 25, or 30 years, you, you get a deed and title. You paid up. You're done with the bank. You're never done with, with the taxes. You're never done with the property taxes. A 15-year note, let's say 50% of the revenue you generate goes to service the debt. You're, you're paying that off, and at some point in time, Rev, you don't get a bill any longer. The tax man is in perpetuity. It never goes away. It's not a 15-year term. It's not a 20-year term. It's not a 30-year term. It is for or, or infinity and beyond, as Buzz Lightyear <laughs> famously Buzz Lightyear. said. <laughs> yeah, but it's Buzz Lightyear. It's infinity and beyond, and it's getting close. And, I, and I, this is a staggering number, and somebody in the public sector needs to understand this. You're going to impede economic development. You're going to impede growth if you continue to be as onerous on taxes as you're choosing to be. And I don't know who to blame. I'm not angry with anybody because it's easy for a business person to say that doesn't make any sense. That's not the, the risk-reward proposition that most of us try to account for. The taxes make it too risky. There is some reward here. And if taxes were 15% of revenue, 18% of revenue, maybe we do it. But when the taxes become 30% of revenue, 28% of revenue, 32%, of revenue because it's not a primary residence. It's not a 4% assessed property. It's 6%. And the, and the absurdity of that, 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 that a, a, a fairly smart group of business people, I mean, we're not geniuses, but we're not dummies. The, the, biggest, the biggest impediment to us pulling the trigger is can we pay the taxes or not? I mean, that's absurd to me. We know we can pay the bank. We know we have to pay the bank. We know we can dump the dumpster and we can cut the grass and we can paint the building every now and then and we can put a new roof on when we need to. The contingencies are, are, are declared and estimated. We kind of, we've quantified, qualified that. But, but the, the taxes, and not only what the taxes are today, what if they choose to raise them? I mean, if taxes are 28% of revenue today, what if this, the, the local government or the school district says, that's not enough. We need a little more. And I think people in the public sector need to understand. Case in point, last year. Well, I mean, sure. But, but here's the point, Rev. It's not just what are they doing with the money. That they're becoming an impediment to investing of dollars in our local economy that lead to economic growth. I don't know that they understand that. You know, I'd love to say um, they're doing it intentionally. I don't think they are. I just think so few people in government have ever answered 
to a bottom line. I'm not talking about a household budget. I'm talking about a business bottom line. It's troubling. It's discouraging. Take a break. Back in a minute. Welcome back to Wake Up Carolina. Last hour of the week, 843-661-0937. I've noticed in these trends of the show, the last hour, last couple of hours of the week are not very participatory. I mean, they just aren't. We don't have a lot of interaction from 8 o'clock until 10 o'clock on Friday mornings. I guess people are already programming themselves and heading toward a weekend uh, state of mind. It's kind of interesting that um, there's, there's a certain mindset of a Monday morning. There's another mindset of a Friday morning. I remember sitting down with Schofields. Um, a while back when they agreed to become a sponsor of our show. And we talked about what day of the week. And, I mean, they wanted to be a big part of our show. And we knew there was a lot of synergies there between their customer base and our um, our, our audience. And I said to the ownership, I said, look, let's, um, let's do this toward the end of the week. Because a lot of what you guys um, are in the business of is, you know, hunting and fishing and yard work and – you know, um, outdoors and all these other sorts of things. And Monday morning, people have kind of got their nose to the grindstone. They're not thinking as much about, you know, um, do I need to, to weed my yard or do I need to buy some shotgun shells or, you know, uh, I'm going fishing tomorrow. But about Thursday is when you start thinking about uh, the rewards of the week. Did I have a productive week or not? How do I reward myself uh, on the weekend? So there's always been, um, I don't know, some thought behind this relationship we have with our businesses and sponsors. And there's no doubt that uh, all those relationships, we want to be mutually beneficial, right? Uh, You and I attended an event yesterday where uh, some of our sponsors were uh, having lunch and we had the opportunity to to interact and talk with them and, and have some of that, uh, that back and forth discussion. And uh, it was a really good time. And of course we, we appreciate, and that was kind of what we were expressing. We appreciate uh, their support and, uh, and their interest and their continuing interest in the show. And I think we have an obligation. I, mean, I think we have a responsibility. I mean, we're, we're not the news, but we do address some of the issues that challenge a community or prosper a community, that benefit a community. Well, like you, you spoke for a few minutes, and you talked about that, and you talked about your goal, you know, when you're considering the topics. Did you just interrupt me? I did. Is that not – I mean, it's – well you, well, you do it. Well, I mean, I sure mean, I do, but that, that, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I mean, was that so, – so how many times would you have to interrupt me? <laughs> to, to to repay me for the full interruption I've done because my wife has texted me a hundred times. Right. Stop interrupting Dave. So when you interrupted me, well, you, I, I'm just wondering if your wife is going to text you and say, stop interrupting kids. <laughs> probably, probably not. Uh, yeah. Probably. Okay. Um, but, and, and you took a breath there and it was a, but what I, <laughs> so I jumped in. It took a half breath, but continue. Because, because really what I wanted to say is I wanted to, I wanted you to make sure you were going to go back and talk about what you talked about when you spoke yesterday. At, at the lunch and uh, and because you talked about the relationship but but how you select uh, some of the topics we discuss on the show uh, always with the uh, you know the business community in mind with our sponsors in mind with our listeners in mind and the overall you know good of the community in mind we promote commerce we promote economic activity we want the community to grow we want Sumter to grow we want Orangeburg to grow I don't live in Sumter I don't live in Orangeburg but we broadcast there and we want to challenge um, those in charge to do a better job. We're not criticizing or chastising. We're, we're just challenging those in charge of making fundamental decisions that prosper, benefit, or not a community. So, yeah, when we gathered yesterday with the businesses 
And they said how thankful they were and appreciative they were for what we do here in the morning. And the majority of what we do is entertaining. I mean, I've said it before and I'll say it again. You want to be enlightened, go to Harvard. You want to be informed um, and entertained, give us a shot. Because I think we can do a little of both of that. Um, entertainment is the priority. But, but relaying information in an understandable fashion is something I think we've done, I don't want to say highly effectively, but fairly effectively here at Wake Up Carolina. And, and yes, when we, when we talk about a second ago, we're talking about taxes. I mean, personally, I'm bothered by that because I'm a partner in a business, and I think taxes are too high. I think property taxes, period, are too damn high. But, but if we're going to address that, then let's address it in the name of making it easier to do and, 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 you know, make business happen around here. Um, I'm just the biggest believer in the world that the way you grow an economy is to empower its private sector. You'll never convince me of anything other than that. Um, we can argue socialism and um, capitalism. We can, not, we can argue Keynesian economists versus classical economists. It's not really that complicated. Either you um, prioritize the private sector or you don't. And there, there's always an excuse for a government agency to raise your taxes. They always need a little nicer auditorium or a little more uh, manpower or, or a little newer backhoe or a, you see where I'm headed? Um, teachers need to make a little more money. There's always a reason. I mean, they will never, they be in the public sector, they will never run out of reasons believing that they deserve a little bit more of your money. Somebody's got to challenge that. Well, when you challenge education, we challenge higher education student debt. I mean, I don't think that's critical of high of uh, of universities. I think it's a legitimate criticism. I think you've got to be honest about you know taking on some of these entities or enterprises that deserve to be criticized. And I'll tell you, uh, if you are a teacher and you're bothered when I criticize K through twelve, that's your problem, not mine. If you are a county administrator, a county council member, a city council member, or a city administrator, and you hear me criticize city government or county government, and it hurts your feelings or you think I'm out of bounds, that's your problem, not mine. But but I will defend the public and the private sector, and I'm talking about the general public, not the public sector, the general public, the taxpayer, and the private sector every chance I get. Because I understand that in the order of influence, they are the reason one exists because of the other. The government doesn't exist to, 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 I mean, the private sector does not exist because of the government. The government exists only because the private sector allows the government to take so much of its revenue income and, and disperse to government agencies and bureaucracies and, um, you know, people and law enforcement and uh, to build bridges. I mean, that, that, yeah, I understand that. But when you get to a point, and I'll use the last example as a, as a kind of a uh, classic example, when you when you when you take a business model, I mean, I, I'll, I'll give you some numbers here. You ready? Mm -hmm. Let Let's say that you're doing a, a million dollars worth of business in real property in Florence County, and you borrowed all of the money, and you borrowed it at today's uh, effective rate. Let's say you had a um, let's say you had a thirty year rate. Let, let's use multifamily. Let's say somebody's building an apartment complex in Florence. Uh, we're talking about uh, workforce housing. Isn't that a big deal? Uh, I know it is in Horry County and Charleston County. In Horry County and Charleston County, the people that work in the restaurants, the people that work at the Home Depots and Lowe's and Walmart, the people that are police officers and school teachers, guess what? They can't live there. It's too expensive. 
So workforce housing is kind of a national phenomenon coming out of, uh, to some degree, income inequality, to some degree, not income inequality. But but if you go to the bank, borrow, let's hypothetically a million dollars, a 30-year mortgage. I think you get 30-year on a multifamily. Uh, and you get a mortgage at 3.5%. I think as a day, it was a little less than 3%, but it's up a touch. It might be up even more today because the Fed is raising uh, raised interest rates 25 basis points, but they're going to raise, we believe, by the end of the year, 125 basis points. So the 30-year note at 3.5% interest costs you $44.90 a month. The taxes on that property at 6% in Florence County will cost you about $2,916 a month. So you borrowed money from the bank. There, there's no other way to make this work unless the banker says yes. You're paying the banker principal and interest $53,880 a year. You're paying the taxes at about thirty dollars to $35,000 a year. Does that sound reasonable to you? I mean, really, I mean, 30% of all the revenue goes to, to, to pay the taxes. And, and to me, that's just an impediment to economic activity. And we've got to address that. How much money can the private sector afford for the public sector to confiscate and still be profitable and productive? And, and you talk about yesterday when we met with the businesses, and, and I, I didn't give a speech, but I made some comments, and I said, you know, we're going to always argue on behalf of businesses, on behalf of profitability. We're going to try to push those in charge to make decisions that allow you to be a, a better corporate partner, more, more productive economically. That, that is the key to success. That is the key to advancing a community. What did Philip Lowe say a second ago? You know, uh, Philip kind of gave the, uh, to, to me the, the courageous answer. I'm not worried about what's happening in Horry County. I'm not worried about what's happening in Greenville County or Charleston County. I don't have any control over that. They're growing like crazy. Okay, what can I do? Can I stop Greenville County from growing? Can I stop Charleston County from growing? Can I stop Horry County from growing? No. You know what I can do? I can commit my talents to making my community grow. And I think the challenge to making communities grow today, and it really is kind of a catch-22, Rev, is damned if you do and damned if you don't. These growing economies, these these places like Greenville, Charleston, and um, and, and Horry County, when when the when the economic activity leads to a bigger economy, it it spreads the tax burden around. Um, one meal in Florence County raises a little less than half a million dollars. I think it was about four hundred sixty thousand when I was on council in two thousand four. If I'm not mistaken, it may be four hundred seventy five thousand today. You, you know what a meal of um, of ad valorem taxes generates in Charleston County? Over two million dollars. <laughs> So you spread the burden along. I mean, you know, a, a project done in Horry County, the taxes are going to be cheaper per capita than a project done in Florence County. So it's kind of a vicious cycle. And somebody has to speak out for the business community. I mean, I know the chamber does what the chamber does and Florence County Progress does what Florence County Progress does, but the media does not give any consideration to capitalism and business and profit. Maybe that's why they're going out of business, but... We're going to speak out on behalf of business. We're going to always advocate for the private sector and the taxpayer. And every now and then, we may offend a school teacher. We may be uh, offensive to a, a public sector employee. We don't intend to be, but, but I think those people in the public sector need to understand 
The, the only way you get paid is for the private sector to, to succeed. And when you make it so difficult, so complicated for the private sector to enjoy success, you either go to the Fed and print more money or, or you do without or you get cut back. Let's go to the phone. Jeff in Florence. Hello, Jeff. Hey, how are you guys doing? Hey, Jeff. How are you? Morning. Doing good. Um, you know, Ken, you talk about this multifamily housing, and I, I, I know your partner's in one of these uh, uh, groups that's developing in Florence. Um, you're complaining about the taxes. Um, what were your building permit costs? What were your costs to develop the property? Because if you live in West Florence, you know that our roads are inadequately sized now. Our stormwater systems can't handle the impervious surface that's being developed. The fire departments have to be upgraded, more of them put in. The school systems on the west side of Florence, brand new. They're kind of almost getting undersized now. So you're complaining about the taxes you have to pay on developing property in an apartment building that you can't tax the renters. So who do you tax to pay for this infrastructure? No, you demand you demand you, competency out of government. That's what you do. You demand government allocate resources similar to the private sector. They they, they don't. To I'll give it for your to, to pay for the developers' systems that they need to build apartments. Jeff, that's an absurd argument to make. I mean, that that it, doesn't it, carry water. Of course it is. That's a guy that doesn't know business. If you're arguing uh, that. You're proving your economic illiteracy. If you're arguing that businesses don't pay enough taxes to fund no, proper education. No, I'm arguing they're paying what, what they should. No, they're paying far more than they 6%, should. 6% taxes. That's what you're complaining about? Go live in another state and see what it is. I, I don't want to, to live North in another Carolina state. Okay, let, let me ask you this. Okay, what does a multifamily project in New Jersey rent for? Oh, the the rents the rents are sky high. Sure, so so it's I mean it's, it's proportionality. You're talking about uh, scales of economy. Let let me tell you this. I mean I, I didn't want to say this, but I'm gonna say it now. I found out yesterday from a reliable source that every employee of Florence District One got a five hundred dollar bonus today to buy gas. Yeah, I did hear that. That's absurd. That doesn't act, that doesn't get under your skin. That doesn't make you so angry you can't hardly breathe. No, not really. Wow. Yeah, I, and I don't work for the county. I don't get the five hundred bucks. You know, but I, I'll say no. It's not the county you, school uh, district. For clarity, it's not the county. Yeah. It's the school district. Yeah, I, I'll say this to you, uh, as somebody who was in construction for twenty plus years in North Carolina, as a as as a person who worked in community planned community and developments. Ken, the infrastructure that you're talking about for that multifamily that is crushing West Florence. And it's going to crush West Florence if it keeps going on. The roads can't handle it. The fire departments can't handle it. There isn't enough infrastructure over here. The school systems we just built, are they adequately sized for what's going on in West Florence? But, but you're arguing that the public no, aren't I'm paying enough taxes. You, I'm asking you, are they appropriately sized? I don't have any idea, nor do you. No, you, you should really look into it. And, and I'll tell I do. I do know because my kids go to these schools. Okay, and now we're we're rolling in Timminsville. How did how I want to stop I stop, I stop you there? How do you know that West Florence is not a- accurately or properly sized? Live over here for a little while. I, I live there. Check I live in West Florence. My daughter just graduated from West Florence. My daughter got yeah. a wonderful education at West Florence. My live daughter's at the university. 
Yeah, I, li- live in a community where the stormwater runoff comes through and blows out the dam. But but I want to go back to the education. Yeah, you said you that. know you said you know that West Florence is not big enough to accommodate the number of students that go to school there now. And I'm simply asking, how do you know that? The property density in Florence, West Florence is going, it, it is being so skewed by the amount of apartments being built here. The property density in, in, in is in West Florence reaching a mass that the schools that we just built, and now that we have to roll in Timminsville, do you think they're going to be adequately sized? Do you think they planned for that? I'm I, asking you. No, I, I don't know where you're headed here. I don't understand that. I'm arguing that taxes, I'm my argument is that when a business person puts a pro forma together and models his business, there's a revenue and a liability side. And the liability yep. side includes, includes taxes that account for about somewhere between 25 and 30% of all revenue generated. And to me, in my life in business, that is an absurd amount or percentage of money to dedicate to pay your taxes. And here's what I'm saying to you is, that sounds great for the businessman and his pro forma, but what about the infrastructure that has to handle his development? But the point I'm— uh, And you're arguing about taxes. No, the the argument you're making is, I'm arguing that that I'm paying too much taxes. You're arguing that we need more taxes because we're not doing a good enough job with— I'm telling you that the taxes you pay have a reason in 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 a destination. And that destination is infrastructure. If you're going to build multifamily apartments and develop in a community, you have to be responsible enough to think, can the community handle it? Is the infrastructure there? Are my tax dollars wasted or are they going towards that new fire department? Are they going towards expanding the roads? You think that it's, it's just taking your money. No. The money is needed to handle the infrastructure that your development is going to burden our community with. I am well aware where the money goes. I am completely understanding of, of where, where, once the taxes are paid, what percentage goes to education, what percentage goes to the library, what percentage goes to the EMS, what percentage goes to uh, the, the, the vehicle maintenance fee. I mean, I was a county council member. I'm well aware yeah. of the pots of money and where the pots of money go. The private sector cannot afford to pay but so much in taxes. And here's where the Democrats and Republicans just fundamentally disagree. The Republicans believe that if you allow the businesses, the, 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 the economic activity to be controlled by the private sector and not burdened by the public sector, the economy will end up being better off. That is the crux of my argument is when a business person has to allocate 30% of all revenue to his taxes or her taxes, that, that is a burden that makes the likelihood that that business does not succeed. And that, that's so, too much taxes. So, yes, I'm arguing that taxes are too high. Of course I am. So, so you, you, you know, as a developer of a multi-level family or, or an apartment complex, don't you just roll that into your rent? Well, I mean, the market only bears so much rent. What do you do, charge $2,000 well, a month I mean, in Florence for rent? So, so do you want the money to be passed on to a homeowner? No, I mean, the, 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 the market dictates what people will pay or won't pay. I mean, if, the, if this apartment, let's use hypothetical apartment complex. If there's an apartment complex in, in Manhattan, yeah, you can pay more taxes. You should pay more taxes because you want to get 
$2,500 a month rent or $3,000 a month rent. But but the market will only hand the, the market dictates what you can charge or can't charge for monthly rent or what you could build a house and sell it for or what you could sell a widget for, for that matter. Um, well, if your pro forma is designed correctly, you should anticipate paying taxes. Okay, Jeff. Thank you. I mean, I, I, we just fundamentally disagree there. I mean, I just thirty percent of revenue dedicated to pay property taxes is an absurd amount of money. And if thirty percent of revenue is not enough to deal with stormwater, if it's not enough to deal with education, if it's not enough to deal with the libraries, the EMS, then we need to find different people to run government. As simple as that. Take a break. Back in a minute. You know, anytime you say, "I like Jeff." I think Jeff's a good guy. I'd like to drink a cold beer with Jeff. I think Jeff and I could talk about a lot of things and agree. You know what's coming next, don't you? Mm, but. 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 <laughs> There's always this. And it's as sincere as the day is long. I like Jeff. I mean this. The, the show is better when Jeff calls in. And, and you agree with that. Absolutely. I mean, the, the show is better if we had four or five Jeffs. Not antagonists. Jeff doesn't call in to antagonize. Jeff calls in to express a different point of uh, perspective, right. you know, a different point of view or perspective. And I think we're all better off if we hear these sorts of debates had publicly. But but Jeff but. just now, well, I mean, but, you're right, but, the, the point Jeff tried to make is, and if you really break it down, he'll disagree, but, but I think it's hard to argue that he didn't insinuate this, that the business guy is burdening the government, therefore the business guy has to be held accountable. I've always argued that the business guy is being burdened by the government. Therefore, the business guy has to be aggressive in addressing some of his grievances. But if you listen to Jeff, what did he say? You know, the Moldy family is going to burden the infrastructure. is going to burden the government. It's going to carry all these burdens out there. And the government's got to address these burdens. The, the perspective I argue is from, you know, the business guy is burdened by the 30% that he has to dedicate to taxes uh, percentage of his revenue. That, that is to me, I mean, that's the fundamental disagreement here. And that's where you either line up as, um, I don't want to say a complete and total liberal, and I'm probably not a complete and total conservative, but, but there's a line somewhere that decides left and right. And I think Jeff just shows you, demonstrated um, explicitly, that he's on the left side of that line because his concern was the business is burdening the government. And we've got to figure out a way for the government to address the burden that the business is created. And my perspective is always and always will be the burden that the government is creating has to be dealt with and navigated and negotiated by the business. And I guess, Rev, that's the perpetual yin and yang. That that's the that that's the yo-yo up and down. That's the disagreement that Jeff and I have. That's the, I don't want to say the AOCs or the Rand Pauls of the world, because there aren't many AOCs and Rand Pauls of the world. Most of us are a little bit closer to that center line. But I think if you're if you're right of center and you're 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 categorized as a conservative, you would you would have more sympathy and concern about the business being burdened than you would the government being burdened. But if you're left of center, and I think Jeff is, and I think he's kind of expressed that. You're, you're more concerned about the burden because he said more than one time the burden the business is creating has to be addressed by the government. <laughs> okay, that's just a different. I mean that 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 is the yin and yang, and it will probably never ever change. Let's go to the phone. Joe and Marion. Hi, Joe. Hey, man. All I got to say if that guy could get up a little earlier, just transfer his calls to the breeze, <laughs> and uh, let the breeze take care of it. <laughs> 
that would, that'd be entertaining to hear. Yeah, that, that would be very entertaining. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate that, my man. Another call? Let's go there. Yeah, we'll go over to Rujan in Darlington. Hey, Rujan. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Um, as you, you, you already know, I, I have a background in public housing and uh, in, in, uh, government subsidized housing. But here, here's the thing. Um, the, the, the caller gave or Jeff gave a, a pretty good uh, clarification as to why uh, he doesn't have a good grasp on what uh, economic development is and what economics is. And then the problem is, you know, if, if, if you if you burden artificially burden a business, you know, and load them down with taxes to the point to where they're paying, you know, 15 or 20 percent of their their their, uh, their revenue towards taxes, uh, that revenue could be better served if they were paying that if they were they were able to use that and pay a higher rate to their employees. That's what he's not saying. He's just saying that that. Business is bad, and so therefore government has to punish business. You know, I I really wish that he he was able to get out and have to go out there and run a business where you know you have to pay uh, the matching you know uh, deposit for Social Security and for Medicaid and all and Medicare and all the rest of those um, state local you know and then uh, all those taxes and see how his business fares and how he likes it. It's one thing, you know, to pay your fair share, but damn it, this is ridiculous. I mean, come on. I mean, when Barack Obama said he's going to put the boot on the neck, that's, that's, they got the boot on the neck and up the butt and everything else. Yeah. Thank you, Ruth John. And that, that's, the, I mean, that's the person to change all of this. I mean, Obama is the guy that, I mean, the most effective president in my lifetime. By far. Barack Obama was the most effective president of my lifetime he didn't successfully transform the country, but he steered it in a completely and totally different way. There, there is a there is an animus toward the private sector, and look, I have as much animus as anybody toward um, some of the fleecing of the of the of the government by the the private sector. I mean, so corporate America and, and Wall Street, and I mean, we talked extensively about the Fed and its contributions to income inequality. So I'm not some uh, pure white snow, you know, capitalist. I mean, I think capitalism has a lot of problems. And we need to always watch uh, the capital, especially the hyper-capitalist uh, on Wall Street that take advantage of the Fed and activism and all these other sorts of things. Um, and whether it's multifamily or not, I mean, I got two texts during the last break, uh, people that calculated their taxes in relation to their revenue, and they're in the upper 20%, 26% one, uh, 27.5% the other. I mean, does the government deserve one quarter of your money in the name of property taxes? Forget payroll taxes. Forget income taxes. Forget all these other taxes that you have to pay. Um, I'm simply talking about property taxes. And I understand, as Jeff said, stormwater and infrastructure and improvements. And in, I mean, there's been a talk in, in some of these real fast-growing counties about impact fees. I understand um, watersheds and stormwater and, and greedy developers. I got a buddy of mine at the beach that says they'd build houses in the ocean. He calls them real estate cowboys. He said, if you let some of these real estate cowboys. So I certainly respect Jeff's judgment in that, you know, there, there has to be some, I don't know, compatibility between the public and private sector. But but I'll, I'll use this as an example. He kind of concurred over the air. Um, I heard yesterday that, that every employee of the school district is going to get a $500 bonus today to help them pay for gas. How many people in the public sector have gotten a $500 bonus to help them pay for gas? What did the public sector do so well? What did the what did the school district do so well that all its employees deserve a five hundred dollar bonus? 
to help pay for gas. Once again, I don't know that's true, but I had two people tell me yesterday, and Jeff concurred over the, um, I don't know if he knows or not. I don't know. I'm reporting what I've heard from several people that, that everybody in District 1 is going to get a $500 bonus to help pay for their gas because gas has increased, what, 100% or somewhere thereabout. Um, what did the school district do to end up with that much money? I don't have many employees. Let's say they got 500 employees. What's that, $250,000? It's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. A quarter of a million dollars in um, gas uh, gas subsidies or, you know, we normally talk about a gas surcharge. This would be a gas subsidy in the public sector. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it's out of control. I'm sorry. I, I'm not, I'm not negative for school teachers. I'm not negative toward people who work at public works or law enforcement. Please understand, but, but the private sector can only afford, and I'm talking about small business. I'm not talking about Caterpillar with a team of accountants and lawyers. I'm not talking about Microsoft, who has millions and millions of dollars to go lobby government, lobby the, the Congress to get, you know, whatever it is they need to get at Wall Street, certainly. Um, BlackRock would be a great example. I mean, I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about uh, the rank-and-file small business owner. It's, it's, it's harder today for the rank-and-file sm- rank small business owner to generate a profit than it ever has been. And I don't want to say American history because I don't know what it was like in the late 1800s. I don't know what it was like before the Civil War for the private sector generated profit. But but as long as I can remember, and there's a reason that startups are in decline. There's a reason that small, small businesses are closing that, than starting. I mean, that, that's where we are today. And, and, and people, I don't want to say people like Jeff, that's unfair to Jeff. But those who believe that the needs and wants and desires of the public sector should be prioritized before the needs and wants and desires of the private sector well, you'll get exactly what you deserve. I mean, we're getting that now. We've just not answered the mm-hmm. bell yet. I mean, Congress spends money. I mean, we are the preeminent superpower on the planet, and we've got a financial system that consists of this. You ready? Congress appropriates and spends money they don't have. The Fed prints money to buy government debt to pay for the expenditure that Congress has already appropriated. They don't have the money to do it. They did it anyway. The Federal Reserve creates currency and liquidity out of thin air. They buy government debt to simply service the money that Congress has already spent. The, the absurdity of that, the, the, the lunacy of that, the, I mean, we should all be freaked out and scared to death. But we'd rather watch The View and hear what Whoopi has to say about <laughs> Politics 101. Let's go to the phone. Here is Ashley in Poston's Corner. Hi, Ashley. Good morning, King. Good morning, Rev. Uh, I didn't get that $500. Um, not me. Um, I wish I did, but I don't. Um, but that's kind, of a, that's kind of a kick to the stomach right there after they raise your taxes. What was it, 22%? And then turn around and give... Uh, Everybody in the district won a five hundred dollar tax break. Hey, I want okay. I want to say now that that is that is rumored. I mean, that, that is, is I I can't I don't have that on record. I mean, I, I don't. But but two people that I trust told me yesterday that that's the case. And Jeff said he heard uh, the same thing. And you're right. I mean, if they raise your taxes twenty two percent, and now they've got enough money to give every employee five hundred dollars to help with gas, they've got too much of your damn money. Well, and 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 a, and a, and a Jeff's point, uh, it, you know, it, it does stem from Barack Obama. I mean, he's the one that said, "You didn't build that road. That ain't your money. You didn't do this. You didn't do that." And that was probably the first time 
as a conservative that I felt like a president truly didn't like you. I mean, this just didn't like you. Doesn't like any of your values, doesn't like any of that. I mean, we propped up Democrats for years with the salt tax. All those people you see moving down to the beach that can buy that $1 million uh, beach house, we 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 ta- we we paid the taxes on their property for years through the salt tax. Thank you, Ashley. Appreciate that. Very valid points. And um, and once again, I want to, for clarity's sake, I told Rev about it before we went on the air this morning. I heard that this is the case, but I heard it from two fairly reliable sources. Um, if somebody can deny that, deny it. I mean, if that's not the case, then call in and say no. That's absolutely untrue. Because um, I don't like repeating rumors. Yeah, I, we don't want to spread I, false no, rumors. No, absolutely sure. not. And, and, and so, so I'm saying um, we've heard that that is the case at District One. Take a break. Back in a minute. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Benji in Latta. Hello, Benji. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Uh, Ken, what if I told you or gave you an uh, example of paying higher taxes is a good thing? What would you say? I'd love to hear it. <laughs> All right. So I can't speak for education or infrastructure or, uh, you know, all the other departments, but I can uh, give you a good example when, in regards to public safety. So um, in an area pretty close to you, I kind of know firsthand that uh, there's an organization called the Insurance Services Organization, or ISO, which evaluates the fire protection in your area and then gives you a number for that. And based on that number, your insurance company charges you X amount of dollars for your uh, your insurance. Mm-hmm. So, ISO ratings. Exactly, exactly. So obviously the, the numbers go from a one, meaning you have the best fire protection in your area, to a nine, which means you don't have anything. And then based on that number, your insurance will be high or low. So there's an example in your area very close by that uh, with an ISO of one, you're paying higher taxes. And let's just for rounding off numbers, let's say you're paying $1,000 in insurance versus $500 in property taxes. And I, I don't know the exact numbers for the areas, and I'm sure it's going to differ. But let's say we increased your property taxes to $700. Your insurance goes down to $300 or even lower, mm-hmm. where a well-run government can charge you more in property taxes, provide a better service, and lower your insurance. So, you know, yes, you are paying more taxes. However, you're saving money in regards to what's coming out of your wallet for paying higher taxes and not only having a better service in your community. That's interesting. And, and I'll tell you, I'll, I'll give you one example. In my time on county council, we had the fire departments come to us and, and, and talk about ISO ratings and what they needed to, you know, to, to, to change the ISO rating to, to get insurance cuts on people's homes. And I remember what I said, because I'm a good old boy politician. I said, don't lie to us. I mean, if, if we give you this equipment, if we if we dedicate these funds, we need to make sure the ISO ratings reflect the investment, and they did. I mean, they they did. Absolutely. I mean, and and you know, I commend them. I mean, to, but to me, that's responsible government. And and, and exactly. I, but but to, and, and I, I want to get your take on this. I'm a business person, so when I when I was a member of county council or lieutenant governor, I still looked at things through the eyes of a business person. So when I say it, don't lie to us, I was not insulting the fire marshals or the fire chiefs. I just I was demanding for them to shoot me straight. If you say we make this investment, here's what's going to happen. 
If we make this investment, it damn sure better happen. Don't come back in three years saying the reason it didn't happen was because of this or the reason it didn't happen was because of that. And I don't think that's unfair uh, for, for someone to be on county council and demand that of the public sector. Oh, absolutely not. I mean, you know, as, as taxpaying citizens, we demand accountability from where our dollar's going and, and, and how it's being spent. And if you request an increase and you say, okay, you want me to pay more money, how is this going to reflect? Is it going to be a better service to our community, whether it be roads, bridges, more teachers, more fire department, police, EMS? Are we going to see a savings somewhere? Yeah. Is, it a, is it a capital improvement fund or is it just a one-time, one-time gig or – are we going to see long-term savings? And that's good and, government. And, and, I mean, that's good government to me. we got to take a break. I'm sorry. Top of the hour upon us. Back in a minute. If you're a sports fan, March Madness is about as good as it gets. I love college football, but I like college basketball. I love March Madness. Um, trivia question. You ready? Pepsi of Florence is kind enough to support us every Monday and Friday. Um, we thank them, and I mean that sincerely. Pepsi of Florence has been unbelievably gracious to this feeble tip radio brigades and um, this community in general, the last NCAA basketball team to win them all, the last NCAA basketball team to win every regular season game and every NCAA tournament game was whom? 843-661-0937. The last NCAA basketball team to win every regular season game and every NCAA tournament game. The first person to correctly answer that question Wednesday, six-pack of Pepsi product, a couple of takes Mondays to make Friday's T-shirt. Do we have a caller, Rev? We do. Okay. Hi, you're on. You know the answer? Yes, Indiana, 1977. You are right. Indiana, 32-0 and under the coaching of Bobby Knight. Who is this and where are you calling from? David Sanders from Florence. Okay, David, thanks for listening, my man. Appreciate it. Hey, Larry Bird and Indiana State were undefeated in 1979 until they played Magic Johnson in Michigan State, which is still the most watched college basketball game in history. 79, Indiana State, Michigan State. But um, Indiana won it in um, 76, I think, or 77, 76. I think it's 75, 76, but he got the right school. 32-0 and 0 was their record. Enjoy your weekend. We'll talk Monday.